All right, welcome back, Red Spotters. I'm your host, Alexis, joined by Alexis Moreno here and Kyle Lira, the show that brings you all of the latest stories come out of the world of movies. And of course, as we promised in our last installment, we're discussing The Crown Season 5 today in addition to the wonderfully new, I would call animated classic, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Uh, and that's our episode here on 423, but we've got some big news that shook everyone to their core that broke just today. All right. Well, you see, that's a wonderful musical cue. I mean, for me, I would have gone with this. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I mean, that's what I was thinking. Yes. So, um, anyway, if yes. you can't tell. Yes. Let's do that. Let's do that, too. <laughs> we so free! <laughs> Oh my god. I'm sorry for the people we're going to be tonight, but listen, you know, it it sucks to suck, right? But it also <laughs> it, it it does, but it also sucks even worse to be, you know, just a despicable putrid presence that has caused nothing but heartache and headaches and and all the kind of pain for two whole years. I would even say that this particular individual in some ways led to our beloved Fantasy Fair podcast being shelved for an extended period of time. And look, we, we try to be nice, courteous, you know, human beings and not really relish in people being taken down. But you know, sometimes you just can't help but really relish in someone like this person just being absolutely removed from our lives like a fungus from a toe, and that's exactly what this is. So if you can't tell, Bob Chapek, the most vile person uh, that we have had the pleasure of talking about in regards to the Walt Disney Company, I want to make that clear. Or the displeasure, right? Yeah, exactly, the displeasure, is gone. Literally a, a matter of hours ago, we looked at our phones. Kyle shared something, and I thought I was reading some kind of like joke article. And then I <laughs> opened it up, and I'm like, this cannot be real. And though I go on what's left of Twitter, and then like, oh yeah, people are like, this is real. And like, oh shit, like Bob Chapek has been fired. As CEO of the Walt Disney Company, and let me tell you something. He was fired. It was great. There's never been anybody who could fire anybody like me. Let me tell you something. And in his place, and this is, I think, even more shocking than Bob Chapek being dismissed. The return of Robert Iger. The return of the king, sure. Uh, <laughs> the return of Robert Iger, the previous CEO of this company, has shocked everybody he is now at this moment the ceo of the walt disney company and you look we're gonna get into all of our reactions and where we were when we heard this but like it should tell you something 
the idea that there are like people out there who love this brand, who love this company, who see so much of, you know, goodness in it. And they're celebrating tonight. Employees all throughout the company hated this man and are celebrating his departure right now. Um, I believe Kyle's drinking wine. Is that what you have or whiskey and coke. whiskey? I've got fireworks going on behind me. If you can't tell to mark the occasion, literally on my TV. Yeah, uh, dude. It's a Ten okay. hour loop. For those that are in the know with Disney, um, it's kind of like when the Main Street Electrical Parade just, you know, vanished out of thin air and then all of a sudden reappeared. It, it's honestly some of the best shit ever. I would one hundred percent not compare it to that, but okay. <laughs> If it works for you, Kyle, sure. If if it that works analogy for me, works I, for you, that's fine. Because I, yeah, um, that that's fine. You love the that parade. <laughs> Just remind yourself that some other person here doesn't really like that parade at all. So that may not be a universal analogy, but hey, what works for you? Uh I don't know. I'm just I. Oh God, if it, it feels so good that the, <laughs> it just it feels so good. To, it's good for the soul. Um, knowing that he's gone and I, I I don't know. I, how, (laughs) how did this happen? How did this happen after? And by the way, I mean, we're going to get into all how Moreno, why we feel that way. But Uh like Moreno, please Moreno old alone done for. It's crazy. I I was in the kitchen. I was making food. And then David had already gone to bed. And then he comes out running. And he's like, have you seen the messages? I'm all, what messages? And he goes... Wait a minute, he comes out running like it's Christmas morning? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the British are coming. Like, out of breath, have you seen the messages? <laughs> And I was like, no. And he goes, Bob Chapek is gone. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And then I saw Bob Iger's face and I was like, oh my God. Uh, Leave it to David. (laughs) Leave it to David to (laughs) spread the word. Uh, <clears throat> so how did you like first react to you know uh, to it happening? I, I mean, was just like in shock. I couldn't like my mouth was just open. <laughs> I didn't. I couldn't believe. It. I I did the same thing. Like I didn't believe it. And then I went onto Twitter and I was like, no, no. And then I saw everything and I was like, oh my god, wild. And immediately thought, can I get my job back? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of Imagineers and cast members feel the exact same way you do. Can I have my job back? Yeah. Share the same sentiment. Yeah. Um, The thing is, is that, like, I was the first person to, like, like, because right now I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a vacay mode. You know, I I have a a week long break and uh, I was, you know. Scrolling through the internet, doom scrolling as it were, and lo and behold, I saw somebody said breaking news, uh, Bob Chapek fired from Disney company, uh, Bob Iger to assume the role. And I'm like, 
this has to be made up, right? This can't be real. Like, that's too good. <laughs> this, it, it is too, too good. good. It's too good and to then, be true. It feels that way. It, this doesn't happen. This never happens. Yeah. yeah. And then, lo and behold, I was like, uh, okay. I, I googled Bob Iger just to see what pops up. De- if Deadline posts it, you know that shit is legit. Deadline, one of the most major trades in the in entertainment news business, and for them to say that this, they had the headline, they had the pictures of, of the two Bobs. One's gone, one's back. Yeah, uh, the Walt Disney Company Iger's version. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, like, I looked at that headline, and I was like, what the f- Fuck, guys. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> I sent that news like nobody's business to the um to our group chat on a on Facebook. And my god, I I was in shock. I don't know how you felt, Alexis. Um, but yeah, god damn. It it just felt so good. Like I it was much needed endorphins. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> and just for the record, I want let's just go, I want to go ahead and read uh, what you sent over from Deadline. All right. After less mm-hmm. than a year in retirement, Bob Iger has returned to the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. The board just sent out a notice that Bob Iger is back and recently re-upped. Bob Chapek is out. I am deeply honored to be asked to again lead this remarkable team with a clear mission focused on creative excellence to inspire generations through unrivaled bold bold storytelling, Iger wrote tonight in an email to staffers. Having handed over the baton as CEO in February 2020 to Chapek, a stunning move unto itself at the time. Remember, that was kind of like, that was quick how that happened back then. And Mm -hmm. then serving as executive chairman until the end of 21, Iger will be CEO for a second time for the next two years, the company says. His mission will be to include in identifying a successor, something Iger had difficulty doing while in the job the previous time. He better get it right this time. Fuck, man. Because even he was like regretting picking freaking Bob Chapek. Postponing multiple plans to step down during his 15 years on the top job, the final stage of a 47 run at Disney. The board has concluded that as Disney embarks on an increasingly complex period of industry transformation, Bob Iger is uniquely situated to lead the company through this pivotal period, said board chair Susan Arnold in the official statement. Just a couple weeks after a rougher than expected quarterly earnings report by the company. Once an overachiever bowied by success in streaming, Disney's stock has recently sunk to a multi-year low as executives have warned of weak revenue and profit gains in the year to come and also hefty expenses for streaming. (sighs) Yeah, it's been a tumultuous two years for the company. Let's just be real about that, right? And I would say that if Bob Chapek were somebody whose demeanor and disposition were entirely different people would have been far kinder to him, considering that it is a tumultuous period for everyone, considering that the world entered a pandemic, still technically is, or trying to crawl out of the stage of a pandemic. And it's just a a tumultuous period that every person alive is experiencing. And of course, if you're a multinational corporation like Disney, that's going to affect you to an extent for sure. However... We're also living at a time where it is um, really outrageous where every single multinational corporation is going out of their way to really rob people blind while also maintaining the wealth 
that hasn't gone away at the very top of the company. And with Chapek, he really ushered in nothing but decisions that were, you can make the economic argument in favor of them, sure, from their perspective, but just about everything that man did angered a whole lot of people, whether it be from within the company itself, with talent, uh, with executives, and maybe most importantly, from a certain standpoint, the actual customers and the fans, especially when it comes to the parks, which have really gone into a territory where, the, I mean, literally, it's gone south. Yeah. It's gone into a territory where I think all three of us, to an extent, um, have become very disenchanted. No pun, of course, on the new Disney Plus movie out right now. Um with the parks themselves and with the brand of Disney. And I, and Alexis, I think was, you know, just the last episode, she was talking about her recent trip to Disney and how her, she herself is just, was not in a space any longer where it was just positive to discuss Disney. And she, you know, in turn, you know, said that was part of the reason for why, you know, fantasy fair was just kind of like shelved for the time being. It's just yeah. for you guys, especially it just wasn't fun anymore talking about Disney. Yeah, especially with the, uh, especially with uh, Bob, you know, paycheck as it, <laughs> as it were. Um, but the thing is, is that I never more has Diz Twitter agreed on anything so heavily than this decision from the company to reinstate Bob Iger because it it you unanimously. I mean, we. I mean, it was pretty much described at the top of the episode like Palpatine dying and the whole entire galaxy rejoicing it is it is without a doubt like that kind of equivalent because there has never been somebody more hated in the Disney company than Bob Chapek he is uniquely hated yeah and i don't think that everybody's agreed on somebody to hate on this much you know and i think that that is a i think well, that he made it no, easy he made it yeah, easy to he hate did make him. it easy yeah i mean of course i mean but like i mean, the I mean way can, that we, he, can we just get into it right now kyle I mean, can, before uh, yes i'm gonna let you finish your thought but when uh -huh. you finish that what are the reasons why you hate him Okay, um, the way that he, uh, I, I'm just, like, going off, like, you know, general consensus of what, like, a lot of people feel about him is that a lot of people feel like he cheapened the brand. <laughs> um, he never understand the fundamentalism that is what makes Disney unique as a, as a, um, a media item and uh and the fact that you know you have him and he said this about uh about animation you know in general like you know nobody you know no adults want to watch anime you know animation isn't for adults animation is for kids and boy walt disney is uh in himself <laughs> in himself is rolling in his grave just like what the fuck are you talking about you know sit the fuck down bob um but the 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 reason why I despise the man is because he is a penny pincher, and <laughs> as a CEO of a big company like Disney, you can't afford to be a penny pincher, you know. And you could clearly see with all the the stuff. I mean, the biggest announcement out of like the parks department was a bakery coming to downtown. <laughs> 
with D23. Hey, if don't forget a, don't forget about the rumored seating coming to Tomorrowland. Wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> but just like just the but just the sheer um but that just says it all, right? <laughs> I mean, the biggest announcement out of D23 out of the parks department is a fucking bakery is being opened and not even a Disney bakery. I mean, if that does, if yeah. if that doesn't scream what's the main fucking problem of what's been going on at Disney since the Chapek regime regime, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know what does because he I I don't I don't feel cuz yeah, of course Disney's a Disney's a business and business is business, you know, and I you know, and I fully understand the, you know, the value of what makes a business run. And but the thing is, is that you could have both. You could have both, and Eisner and uh, and Iger have both displayed that you could have both. Mm-hmm. You know, but the thing is, is that JPEG was more focused on the bottom line more than anything else, and that really hurts a company in terms of like entertainment. Because the thing is, is that entertainment is not. <sighs> It's it's not cheap, you know. You gotta you gotta shell out the money here and there. And with that being said, you have uh, like for example, look at what Iger did versus Chapek. What what did Chapek do in the whole thing? Um, well, what did he do? Make, I mean, literally, can you make name- sure? Yes, go ahead. make sure make sure that Disney Plus is um is a force to be reckoned with barely he barely did that um not without creating new enemies because yes. let's not forget one of the many people he angered were the exhibitors during the pandemic when he kept you know shoving a whole bunch of films that were supposed to be in theaters exclusively but on streaming everybody kind of gave him a pass because well that was the year that most theaters were closed sure but then it kept happening in particular with the pixar people and then they revolted uh very yeah, publicly some- so a company that Iger uh, held dear dear to his heart, you know. A company he, that has won many Oscars for the Disney company. Yeah, and he firmly believed in uh, in Pixar animation. Pixar um, was the first thing Iger did. Yep, he snatched yeah. like, that right up. off the bat. Because mm-hmm. that's how much he believed in the company, you know. Because he was like, "Listen, this will be a great thing to be, you know. Let's make let's make a wonderful thing together, you know." And that, and I think that. That really set, you know, a tone of what would go on from, like, the expansion on Disney uh, California Adventure. Um, you have the other, you know, other acquisitions, like, for, like buying a big old media conglomerate such as Marvel and Lucasfilm. He knew that Disney could be, you know, was good, but it could be better. Um, as, uh, Pedro Pascal would say, um, but the thing, but the thing is, is that he, he understood that Disney needs to expand. Did Chapek expand? No, he fucking did not. He, he just let it stew in its own, um, pandemic ridden filth and skated by off all of these excuses that he had. Um, and the thing is, is that he already did things for cheap with the parks. Yeah. Um, and as CEO, 
he kind of got worse in terms of that. That's why, you know, remember at the time, this was two years ago, but remember, I mean, I, I maybe all of us didn't feel good about Chapik being there in the first place because we, we'd all seen how he was handling the parks and the parks were yeah. heading the trajectory where everything was being on the cheap, penny pincher, as you would say. And guess what? As CEO, the parks got even worse, generally speaking, but then the whole company mm-hmm. ended up seeing what the parks were already experiencing for years. And I think at the heart, at the core, really, at what was going on or what is just wrong with well, what was wrong with Bob Chapek being the head of the company is there's two very important things. You got the sense that he didn't at all appreciate what he had. And mm. therefore, he had no idea what to do with he had. He was at all, he was not at all equipped to begin to understand how to adequately, if not um seriously know how to utilize all of the different aspects of the Disney empire. Now, of course, just the parks, but of course, all the films and, you know, of course, everything else that comes with it. And for the first time in a long time, Chapek came across as somebody who was a complete outsider in that he had no appreciation. He didn't cherish anything when it came to um, Disney and therefore he didn't even and that's one thing to not have that but it so clearly came across to every person that he came across with that this person just didn't care he just didn't understand um, and he kept making blunder after blunder I mean of course the exhibitors were one thing he pissed off but th- don't forget of course the whole Scarlett Johansson saga uh, and mm-hmm. don't forget, of course, the the big thing earlier this year, which I think was probably the most humiliating experience any Disney Sea executive has ever had, which was the whole "Don't Say Gay" bill drama that came out of Florida, and yeah. that was awful. That was terrible, and him just trying to ignore it only made it even worse. It's been shown again and again that his instincts were just completely wrong, and it's just blown up in his face. And I think Alexis has a lot of, um, I think she has. What she said in our chat, and I think what she'll, you know, elaborate further right now, I think Mm -hmm. what really kind of helped to really identify that this man, quite frankly, had no business being the head of this company was when he dismissed the medium of animation. This is fucking Disney. Disney birthed this animation and has made billions of dollars throughout so many decades. And for him to clearly not value that medium as anything important i would buy it if that's kind of what helped tip the scales to kind of like him being asked to leave because if it hasn't already been mentioned his contract was renewed only earlier this year for three additional years back in june and yet here we are today with and he's gone it's it's honestly a, a remarkable turnaround it really is but there is no um, shortage of bad things you can say about the thi- what he fumbled, Alexis. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the last conversation we had, I I don't know. I will say, like, I was happy with the trip that I recently went on, but it was just not okay. Like, it wasn't good. And, and it just made me sad, and, like, I had other conversations with other people that it just wasn't, it wasn't the same. It felt, <laughs> not to, like, diss uh, 
another theme park, mm-hmm. but it felt like it was going in the route of like Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. I mean, hey, that's funny. But I guess the overall Holy shit. the overall point is. From the perspective of longstanding Parks fans, like all of us here, we have noticed um, a change in the wind, shall we say. There's a feeling in the air. And the last two years, I feel we can all agree, there has been a significant deterioration in the experience of going to Disney Parks across the board. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like it it started like as soon as he came in. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you guys like remember the first thing and the first like problem that we had was Galaxy's Edge. Oh, yeah. That was our kind of realization. Like, wait, this like this wasn't good. It could have been amazing. Mm -hmm. And it was. Okay. Which in Disney standards is like, this fucking sucks. You know what I mean? I think that goes into the category Um, of like several operational mishandlings with everything that was like, let's say new at the Disney parks. And we had already been for the last two years, like bitching and moaning about the litany of missed opportunities that were so easily just avoidable. And yet somehow they, every time... They chose to go the cheaper and less efficient route. They did that every single time. Yeah. And it hurt them so much. Yeah, it did. Like all the while so they took they and took then, a lot of things away. But fuck, did those they they jacked those prices up in ways we hadn't seen before in just these last two years. Mm-hmm. I I'm a little scared to say it, but um only because this podcast is cursed but <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to tokyo next year oh no ticket prices are 60 dollars 60 dollars and also keep in mind that this is tokyo is the best disney park yes 60 dollars wild <laughs> i can't even believe i can't even fathom that I can't even fathom that. For one, for just in in the in a summer period, I paid literally a thousand dollars for a family of four for a one day. I paid five hundred dollars yeah. for myself for two days. That is insane. And the people that I went with also wanted to get Genie Plus, so we got Genie Plus. So that was another added thing, which was a complete waste of money. <laughs> And so stupid. And like, the, somebody on Twitter made like a calculation of things that you now have to pay for, which you did not before COVID. It's insane. It's crazy. Um, you got the sense but, that look. Let's just let's be real here. There have been executives embedded at the company who, for a while, I'm sure, were of the mind that sooner or later they were looking for excuses to do all these things. But it took the right guy along to make it happen, and that was Bob Chapek, really. And when I say there are people in the company, I just mean like the the executives, not not necessarily yeah, the yeah. creatives. But it took somebody like Bob Chapek to just you know be that person that was willing to just go ahead and go there and let's be real here they've used the guise of the pandemic to do whatever they've wanted which was take Mm -hmm. things away bring them back half of what they used to be 
but except they're, they cost twice as much as they used to be. That's just been the motto for Bob Chapek. Uh, the level of which he has humiliated several cherished um, institutions at the Disney Empire, you know, knows no bounds. That, that, that's another part that I just don't like. Well, okay, let me go back to the right. Parks thing yeah. Well, with the parks, I, I like meant the, the Disney the, Imagineering has been humiliated yeah, in the yeah. last two years. With the parks, like now, I think like the biggest mistake that he's done, and I mentioned it last time, is. He did not bring back the people who had been working there for years. Yes. And instead brought new people and Because they were cheaper. Less. Yep, exactly. That is crazy. Like, mm-hmm. these people were there, or these people have been there for years, over a decade, over two deca- decades, mm-hmm. since the park opened. Right. Like, and a lot of these people also, keep in mind... Some of these people would live in their cars because yeah. of the the wage. Yeah. But they loved their job. Yeah, they did. I don't understand why you wouldn't. Uh-huh. Just, he- just real quick, as a brief aside, that isn't to excuse the idea that living wages yeah, aren't no, a thing at Disney it's, it's or horrible. Bob Iger's reign. There was already a yeah. longstanding issue with them refusing to, to raise wages. Since not Walt excusing Disney. any of that. Yes, of course. Yes, it's just, known. And yeah. yeah, not saying it's okay, but I'm saying like people loved working there. Right. You know? I loved working there. Yeah. And after COVID it, it did change so much. The way that the values right. that they had, not saying that they they necessarily changed, mm-hmm. but But with new people was, comes a change in culture. And I think you yeah. yourself spoke to what you experienced. Did you tell Kyle what you that experience at Space Mountain? Just what I texted you guys. Oh, okay. Did, did, I don't oh, know if Kyle no, remembers. No, I didn't no, tell him. Because that. that's, that's a firsthand probably. That's a new guy. Because uh, mm-hmm. Kyle, basically, she was like downright disrespected every which way at Space Mountain by a cast member who really could not like care for her existence and couldn't wait. And he even like, he even sassed them to her face as they were walking away from them. It was crazy. It was, it was. Yeah. Rude to begin with. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was very yeah. rude. And like, and, and it wasn't just because it was Disney. I've never experienced anything like that at any other theme park, and I go quite often. <laughs> yes, we yeah. um, that's well established. <laughs> you um, go to Disney often? No. Oh yeah. Well, she goes to theme parks in general often. Yeah, yeah. So it was yeah, and then. Yeah, the layoffs, I understand, you know, Disney was not the only one to do layoffs or whatever, mm-hmm. but the amount of people that they let go and who they let go, which comes in the whole Imagineering department. Yeah. That was insane. Like, well, this you, whole idea to banish you? them to Florida, to like put it under the guise of like, oh, look, here's this wonderful new building, but we're going to move you from California to Florida, objectively the worst state in the country. <laughs> that won't even be around for 50 years. That's crazy. Don't forget Joe Rody retired yes, during this retired. rain. Yeah, cool. retired, quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> Watch, he comes back next. 
<laughs> yeah. But like I mean, like you were saying, Moreno, I mean, just like the like it's one thing for another CEO to come back, but to detrimentally destroy company morale. Uh yeah, company morale was at an yeah. all-time low, Kyle, as you were saying. Like, nobody was yeah. seemingly very happy. And, you know, I know I, th- I think I alluded to it earlier, but, like, it was – the drama got even worse after the Don't Say Gay stuff because then the articles came out and the war of words between Iger, the predecessor and now successor, hilariously enough, and, and Bob Chapik – was very public. That was yeah. a very public falling out. The likes this company has never seen before. Yeah. It. Well, I mean, you can make Roy E. Disney and Michael Eisner did not get along. Yeah, sure. There have been disputes yeah, yeah, in the yeah. past and there's been an, a coup lately. That That's a whole thing. Go read Disney War, I'm sure, and other things. But like here, Fantastic Bob By the way, <laughs> I'm still waiting for a Disney War Part 2. That would that book is this gonna one? be this one intense. basically, but it's like it, it, it's so I, unique I, the fact that Bob yeah. Iger so you know he had all the qualities he wanted. He had he had great business sense. Now does that does it always translate to amazing creative decisions? Not necessarily, no. But more oftentimes, I would say it worked out than it did not. Yeah, and he also knew how to present himself as somebody who really clearly loved his job and and, yeah. and knew what yeah. he had and and knew exactly how to get you know some real things done and let's not forget to give him credit also that in his in the in the last decade that he was there with Disney Parks they really did go above and beyond with breakthrough attraction after breakthrough attraction mm-hmm. that are i think you know heralded as classics parts? exactly yes absolutely so yeah. that's going to go down in history for yeah. sure in, yeah. in disney so the thing like first off uh this is the biggest like entertainment pivot to a previous uh, uh successor since uh Russell T Davies was announced as the showrunner mm-hmm. for Doctor Who that was also <laughs> quite shocking I like I was like excuse me so Russell T Davies is the um it is in charge uh Taylor Swift is coming out with all of her uh, old shit again and um, winning awards. Just saw tonight she won an award for yeah. a re-recorded version of an album she released back in 2014. <laughs> 13? Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> Paramore and My Chemical Romance are back. Um, and now Bob Iger is the CEO. Don't forget Donald Trump. Uh, 2024. No, no, let's not talk about that. Um, is this 2007 again? Are we in 2007? <laughs> And we might as well be. There's a new Enchanted film out. I mean, oh, there we go. There we go. It's 2007 all over again. Um, excellent. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I like the this whole Iger coming back situation. I think we'll, um, and it's two years, two years. I think it's going to be more than two years. I think. Because I think honestly, I'm gonna be listen. I love him. Mm-hmm. He has his faults, but you know, um, I I honestly hope it's not more than two years because I think that he like desperately like wants to retire already. <laughs> he wanted to, but I he think it also but listen to leave for listen, so long. He was retired, but doesn't that even say? How dire things were. How much yeah, more, that yeah. he considered to come back. 
that that's an admission that he knew things were bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, but one I of the just many feel faults bad for the guy. I yeah, want him to rest. I do, but let's be real here. One of the many faults was he's the guy that handpicked Bob Chapik. Yeah. So, Mr. Iger, I would I would hope that you I, I picture I pick okay, uh He's coming back, my bad. Sorry. Guys, I picture Bob Iger today as uh as King Viserys when he's walking to the Iron Throne. That, oh my god. <laughs> With the fucking mask on. <laughs> Mickey Mouse giving him the crown. <laughs> Mickey's Damon. <laughs> oh my god. Can we talk about the memes that have already come out um, in response to this? They have been amazing. My favorite was the last one that I sent. What? Somehow, somehow Iger has returned? It was a... Um... Dude, that the, no, the one so that the layups start with JPEG apparently. Yeah, the one that Kyle sent was hilarious. Of like with Thanos, you could not live with your own failure. Where did that lead you? Back to, back to me. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, love man. that. Everybody's claiming it's a Christmas miracle. It is a miracle. Like whoever thought this would happen. And again, no one's saying Bob Iger was perfect, but at the very least, uh, you can tell that this guy loved his job and he knew what he had. You know, my and favorite. I, my favorite. Uh, uh, reaction out of this came from uh, at Super Weenie Hut Junior. By the way, great Twitter handle. Um, I can see white smoke rising over the Magic Kingdom right now. A new Bob has been selected. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, I love um, the reaction that you sent to me. Get down on your knees and tell me you love me. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> uh, oh my god. <laughs> but um think of all the good times we've had with Bob Chapek. Like that time we find out he was losing his job. Oh, oh yes. My god. I love part of the statement that Iger sent out. It is with an incredible sense of gratitude and humility and, I must admit, a bit of amazement that I write to you this evening with the news that I am returning to the Walt Disney Company as Chief Executive Officer. Oh, I love yeah. this one by Rebecca Keegan. Uh, the one true Bob, first of his name, King of the Nine Old Men, Lord of Burbank, Protector mm. of the Mouse. <laughs> Back to the Game of Thrones analogies. <laughs> Honestly, it's great. Honestly, it's great. I mean, yes, of course, you know, the fault in our bobs. Uh, <laughs> the fault in our bobs. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> you like that, didn't you? <laughs> I gotta write that down. That's clever. <laughs> honestly there's the fault in our bombs but honestly like of the bombs to be you know uh you know of which which is which <laughs> i would pick bob Iger. oh my god <coughs> this is like the when they just sent you <laughs> breaking jpeg has been sent to the disney vault 
Oh my god. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I, uh, wait a minute here. Um, I, I, no, I, I'm happy to, but just to I be know. clear, what, what I read, I want to make sure I read this carefully. Oh, oh I read this correctly. <laughs> he was offered the job today or yesterday, and it took him. That's what I read. I don't know. I think it was. Either like yesterday and then he accepted today. Right? And it took him like all of twelve hours to say yes. That's so fascinating. They so couldn't like- they couldn't let JPEG have a thousand days in office. What happened? I What changed that, your what, mind? That's what like people are like saying, like, what happened that they're announcing this on a Sunday night at Random. whatever very they said random. Need to go. <laughs> very random piece of news. Okay, when okay, Strange World is coming out this week. Thank you for reminding me of that. I, I could look, that be it? Well, maybe in part, but I feel like that animation comment was pretty horrendous. I would say for a company that makes a lot of their money off of animation, including, of course, motion pictures. Kyle, you asked me a few days ago uh, when we were- I think, can I read this? Yes, go ahead, go ahead. It's going to make me cry. This is Bob Iger. I know this company has asked so much of you during the past three years, and these times certainly remain quite challenging. But as you have heard me say before, I am an optimist, and if I- Learned one thing from my years at Disney is that even in the face of uncertainty, perhaps especially in the face of uncertainty, our employees and cast members achieve the impossible. And in just a, a statement, that's a lot more than Bob Chippick ever <laughs> did for them. This is such a night and day thing. It's right? Like, it's like when after it, it, the vibe that this is giving me is like, when Biden was announced <laughs> as president, like you got that like overwhelming sense of relief. You Don't know? forget, man. There's a there's some things we can't forget about this particular era of that. I'm, I'm thankfully we can move beyond. We can move beyond. But like, it it was demoralizing. I would say to to Pixar to have their films just go to streaming, and then of course the one that goes to theaters ends up being year. Lightyear. And again, it tells the you again IP. they're. They're, ma- they're misplaced priorities in that they were – Bob Chapek took a look at that movie and was so confident that it would succeed that part of the rumors that were out there was that he was planning or hoping to do a full-scale makeover of Space Mountain and Tomorrowland themed to the Lightyear film that no one can even remember. And that came out earlier this year. I mean, was it embarrassing enough when they had an Imagineering panel and yeah. a Parks panel, I should say – and they were like, well, guys, here are some concepts that we're thinking about. Let's have a talk. Huh? I love how, like, D- uh, D23 was treated like um, a workshop session. <laughs> <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> um, I was saying, Kyle, you asked me when we yeah. went to go see Pinocchio, I think a few days ago, um, about Strange World and what's going on there. He only had the offer for 12 hours. Yeah. Until he accepted. Yep. Mm hmm. That's. Yeah. And in which case, and I wonder if, if they let Chapek know that this was in the air. Once Iger accepted, I read, they called him and they said, You're fired. 
I'm the best fire. Let me tell you about firing people. I fire the best. Man, I- it would have been so funny if they actually called the former president to <laughs> to actually do like a little like um, voiceover thing because that would have been funny. Um, you asked me, Kyle, about what it was about Strange World that the company very clearly feels as if they're not even promoting. And this has been something that's been in our minds for months now. We've noticed that this has been a thing that we've, we always know that come November time, more often than not, there's a Disney animated film that comes out. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, this one seems to be one that's kind of been forgotten about, at least in terms of marketing. Now, there, of course, there is speculation, of course, the fact that there's a lead LGBTQ character. And, of course, that always has drama, unfortunately. But I would say if I were to suspect what was happening and maybe the fact that Chapek himself does, doesn't consider animation to be that big of a deal, that could be your answer for why it wasn't promoted I love that anymore. they're adding... I love that they're adding um, openly gay characters like uh, like Thanos with his Infinity Gauntlet. Alexis? Uh, you had something you wanted to say? Yes. Uh, somebody wrote, Bob Iger just sent a company-wide email telling all employees to print out their 10 best pages of script and bring them to the 15th floor of HQ by 1 a.m. for review. Is that real? Yeah. I think so. Wait, read it. Say it again. I think it's real. Read, read it again. Uh, Bob Iger just sent a company-wide email telling all employees to print out their 10 best pages of scripts and bring them to the 15th floor of Disney HQ by 1 a.m. for review. Man, this this man just knows optics. He knows how to do this. Like, he just knows how to make a good impression. <coughs> wow. Anywho, that could be your answer, Kyle. But also, I would suspect that considering how aggressive... Biden basic, it's basically Biden reversing all of the um, the Trump administration. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bullshit. But to answer your question, really, as to, like, what's going on yeah. with Strange World, you know... Uh, Considering so Bob Iger's three years of Disney Plus run out too. <laughs> That's clever. That's clever. Um, Chapek has been aggressive in like uh, prioritizing Disney Plus at all costs at the direct expense of the theatrical, uh, you know, vertical. Mm-hmm. I I I guess to me what I've always suspected was he figured this is not going to do that well anyways, considering how poorly Encanto did. Let's not put money into it. Let's just have it in theaters for a month, and then we'll do the Christmas Day model where we'll drop Strange World on Disney+. Plus. Because that worked out a lot for Soul and for Encanto in the previous two years. If I were to guess, I'm thinking he was thinking that's what they were going to do. What did you guys think about Strange World and the lack of push from the company? Well, I haven't seen Strange World yet. None of us have seen that movie. It's not... Out. <laughs> No, because the way that the way that you said it, it was like, "What do you guys think of Strange World?" What, I mean, what do you think of this situation? I'm just trying to relay this thought while being interrupted by you two with like <laughs> other things. So, if you don't want to respond, then I guess we'll just move on. No, um, uh, uh, go on, Myrna. Go on. Um, I wish the movie good luck. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. I honestly haven't... I feel like I haven't seen a trailer for this movie. I honestly don't know, even know what it's about. Um... Well, it's about Disney's first openly gay character. Didn't you didn't you read the memo? Didn't you read the headline on some conservative outlet that this is the next target? <laughs> uh the Truth Social Media app. Yeah, Truth Social. Um I it's also because of that I don't know if it's because of the lack of presence or marketing but We've also forgotten about this movie. It's a stacked month. There's a lot of movies we're going to go see. And I'm sorry to say, Strange World's kind of at the bottom of our priorities. Yeah. Sad to say. And it's a Disney animated movie. An original Disney animated movie. The last of which, by the way, ended up being the number one favorite film of two of our uh, panelists here in Red Spotlight. So it's not something to sneeze at, you know? It's a Disney animated yeah. film. Yeah. Um, it, it, I don't know. <laughs> Iger has a week to uh, market the shit out of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess. It's, it's an I think it's now. kind of... It, it's baked in. <clears throat> we, I think we know what, what it's going to be, and it's not going to be pretty. Um, bec- it's, it's too late. At this point, mm-hmm. unless he just like no, it's it's literally too late to even move it. It's gonna it's be what it's too gonna late be. To yeah. I hope that I don't know. I guess like my biggest hope for him coming in is that he repairs that relationship with Pixar, yeah, and the Imagineers, because they got the biggest hit. I think. I mean, granted. My store closed, but <laughs> I feel like that we all knew that was coming. Anyways. No, that's the third priority. <laughs> Let's bring Alexis Moreno's. Yeah, there's there's a lot back. of things we didn't discuss. Of course, I mean Alexis just briefly mentioned it, but of course the overall evisceration of the Disney stores all across the country. You know, mm-hmm. that the world, the world, literally. Um, we're gonna go ahead and leave it there because we have a couple of things to you know get to. Um, one thing I, I wanted to mention, and this is a bit of a surprise. All of us, I would say, are pretty avid fans of the Netflix series Daredevil, uh, starring Charlie Cox. And we all know of the revival coming to, well, I should say, we all know Daredevil of Born Again. Daredevil Born Again, which is the, con- I don't know, it's it's hard to say revival or continuation, considering we don't know if it is that, either of those things. Did you guys hear... That Deborah Ann Wall, the per, the actor that plays um, Karen. Karen, has said in a recent podcast she hasn't been asked to return. Hmm. Daredevil Born Again is going to have 18 confirmed episodes. And they're about to film. It comes out next year. And she hasn't been asked to come back. So does that mean she's not coming back? And how do you feel about that? Because that seems pretty shitty to me. Let alone whatever, like... Is anybody else coming back? Wilson Fisk. um, Vincent D'Onofrio. They, um... 
what's it called? John Bernthal said that he was in talks to coming back as Punisher. But so far has not been confirmed. But not confirmed. He just says that he's been talking with Marvel about it. So probably him, but that's but that's pretty much it. Hmm. I mean I feel like it was kind of expected for not everybody to come back. Mm-hmm. Um it sucks because Obviously, like, they're what made us like the show. Right. What do you think this means for what this new iteration is? Is it a reboot completely then? Detached at all from the previous uh, series, you would say? Yeah, I think so. I don't think it's, like, an origin story, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels like it, at least. And also, like, another thing to put in consideration, it depends on what kind of arc they're pulling from in terms of comic book mm-hmm. sources. You know, because, like, for example, like, She-Hulk, the whole entire arc that she went through was based off of, I think, like, three different um, comic book runs. Sure. That happened with She-Hulk. So it does, I, I think it's, I think it's a solid mix of the two that mm-hmm. they're both ignoring, but also it's... They're focusing on another arc that was uh, already published in the in the source material. So okay. I think that I think that it's a big good mixture of both. Um, what have you guys made of Damien Chazelle's new film Babylon's reactions so far? First of all, there is a new Damien Chazelle film coming out called Babylon, the trailer of which I'm sure we've all seen with Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, and others. Of course, Tobey Maguire had a little bit of a cameo in that trailer. It is considered to be an awards contender, and the reactions came out, and they are among the more polarizing reactions to any film I've ever seen. Literally down the middle of, like, they love it, and this is awful and terrible. Do you guys look forward to this film? Yes. More so because of the reviews. (laughs) It is. I I checked the runtime. It's three hours and eight minutes. God damn. Uh, like, I feel like I was already, like, looking forward to it. Because it's him. Of course, yeah. Um, But yeah, after seeing the reviews that you sent us, interesting. Interesting, yeah. I was already uh, somewhat intrigued about this movie. Just how, uh, just how it looks. Mm-hmm. Um, because it looks <clears throat> bombastic, and I like like bombastic. It looks like Damien Chazelle is tackling um is tackling tackling the Boz Lerman genre <laughs> by the looks of what the what the trailer gave us. And you know, I'm a big Boz Lerman fan, and it looked like it looked like one of those movies. You know, um. Had I not known, I think that that would have, uh, I, I, I would have confused that. I'm like, wow, Boss came out with two, two movies, uh, in one year. But, uh, yeah, so I, I like how bombastically big and ambitious this looked. Uh, so I was already, uh, somewhat intrigued with the, with the film, even before the, even before the reviews came out. So I think that, uh, I think it was, I think it was interesting. Uh, 
you know, going in. So, um, hopefully it's good. Hopefully I like it. Yeah, there's a lot of hopes. That's for sure. I I have to say, uh, yes, the polarization aspect of these reviews do make me excited, but they also do make me worried because some of the negative things people had to say are not great in terms of characterization. And I feel like that's kind of key in terms of the films that I love. And if that's an aspect of the film that's lacking, I suspect that's going <clears> to <throat> play a not-so-great role in what I would think of the movie if that's the case, you know? But we will yeah. see. We will see how it goes. Obviously, I love his first two movies, Whiplash and La La Land. I thought First Man was really, really good, but it's just not a film I think about or at all revisit. Um, even though the Justin Hurwitz score, first of all, Justin Hurwitz score is magnificent. Oh, by the way, I re three of the films. Recently, I rewatched uh, Whiplash mm. just because just because I wanted to like watch the end specifically. Uh, but then Eight I year got old movie, like, by the way. Yeah, but then I got enveloped in it, and I was just like, "Damn, this is this is some fine work." Mm -hmm. And won like, five Oscars. The, the performances of uh, Miles Teller and you know J.K. Simmons are fucking electrifying and and shit. And the drum work that Miles Teller does is pretty fucking fantastic, you know. Um, that's coming from a drummer myself, you know. Just seeing like the dedication and blood, sweat into actual blood, sweat and tears going into like the into the the work. So I yeah, I mean it's. Um, La La Land, I haven't seen it in a hot minute, um, but from what I remember, I remember liking that movie a lot. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> well, um, let's go ahead and move on to our first review here today. One of which, of course, I had the pleasure of seeing with Kyle, wait, you know what? Before I get there, um, I actually, Kyle, I wanted to get your thoughts on um, Black Panther. Black Panther? Yes. Okay. Black Panther. Black Panther. Wakanda forever. Um, I'm not Peter. I'm not going to pull up Letterboxd and give you the whole uh, <laughs> spiel. But, but um, the thing is, is that, and I, I mentioned to you when we were, uh, you know, in the car talking about it. Um, but, like, the thing is, is that this movie had everything going against it, you know. And it had, you know, the, enough so where this movie kind of had to be good, you know. And it... It, it it came out of you know this horrible tragedy that is uh, uh Chadwick Boseman dying and you you had that aspect coming into the coming into it and lo and behold uh it, this movie felt like you were going to a funeral <laughs> you know in some ways and it felt like you're in a wake and you're in a service you know and even at the end you know 
Um, it just, felt, you know, giving a metaphorical moment of silence for the man. It it just felt. Um, it's the most somber of the MCU movies, um, but also I feel like this is probably one of the most hopeful uh, of the movies as well. Um, this is probably the best. I, I I might get hate for it. I don't I don't know, uh, but I think that this is probably the best um, MCU movies since Endgame in terms of like how it's made the heart behind it and the way that a lot of, a lot of stuff went into it. Uh, and you know, there is actual uh, direction in this movie that I absolutely uh, adored. Now I know that, you know, amongst the panel, I know that you guys would probably disagree and say that it's probably eternals. Um, it's kind of forever. I would say is a comfortable third favorite for me post Endgame. I would put Eternals and Thor, Love and Thunder above it, personally speaking. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um, but for sure, I, Wakanda Forever succeeds from a craft standpoint where many of those films just fell by the wayside. Yeah, and I think that it, it it's a better film for it. And, you know, the, the way that Lupita... Um, Letitia, Denai, and uh, Angela, they all stepped up, you know, and the thing is, is that a lot was on their shoulders, a lot, you know, more so than any other uh, MCU actor up until this point uh, had to do because of the um, unbearingly heavy heavy weight that... uh, Monsieur Bozeman's uh, death carried, and you and the thing is, is that I loved that these characters actually got to live in the world for a little bit, you know, instead of just like boom, boom, exposition. Um, oh, don't forget, um, we have like ten other movies planned, <clears throat> kind of thing. And honestly, that's great. Um. And with with that being said, uh, I uh, I think that it was more uh, striking and honestly, a controversial opinion. I think that this movie um, supersedes what came before with the the first Black Panther. Oh, quite easily, I would um, say. Because I think that this is a, I think a little bit more focused. I mean, I do have my issues with this movie for sure. Um, but the thing is, is that um, the good, super, superly, I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> going back to- Try bigly. Going back to, quite bigly, let me tell you something about- <laughs> um, the, the way that this movie, uh, uh, the good outweighs the bad in multitudes and like for example uh the with everett ross i don't i didn't particularly find entertaining at, in the slightest i just thought it was just side banter at most that i was just like okay let's get back to what namor uh is, is doing and by the way speaking of namor i don't know what the name of the actor who played a uh, Namor, but he did fantastically well in this uh, in this job. I think I think probably 
you know, uh, one of the more memorable um, antagonists in the MCU. Um, and the way I feel like what they were trying to do with Killmonger um, was done better with Namor, you know, in terms of it's like say, having something political to say, I guess. Um, but also, uh, being its own entire entity all in itself, I think made it, uh, made it that much more valuable in terms of what you have as a, as a movie. And when you have that, and by the way, the clear, um, the clear imagery of, uh, of this kind of race war going on against colonizers, I think is uh, I think is a very profound thing and something that's not often talked about uh, in terms of uh, uh, you know these uh, these POC kind of storytelling you know kind of bit and in movies these days, and I think that it's uh, it's nice that we're seeing a different side to this whole entire argument too. Um, and I, he kind of wins at the end. He kind of wins at the end, which I think is, uh, is uh, pretty refreshing as well. My dad, um, <laughs> he went into infinity war alone in the Philippines uh, when he was vacationing. Cause he was, he had some time to kill uh, between uh, visiting family and whatnot. And he his review was this i loved it because for the first time you see the bad guy win <laughs> he said i'm tired of these fucking avengers you know winning all the time it's not fun anymore <laughs> and and when he came out of the movie like that it was just uh it, it's a clear example of why uh this movie could be uh perceived as one of the better ones in terms of where it is uh in making a dynamic antagonist and i don't want to overtly call namor a villain because i don't think he's a villain in this movie uh he's uh he's more of a uh of a catalyst of a broken system uh and i i think that it, it i think that's more interesting i think that's more interesting in what they do with uh, with 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 this kind of villain, and especially with the MCU movies, like even uh, as much as Christian Bale is trying, even he could fall into some you know those kind of traps where it's very um like yeah, there's like some sort of tragedy behind the the villain, but beyond that, what else is the character? So I I like that this movie uh, goes beyond just oh, he's a bad guy because tragic thing happens here. Uh, and he, with that being said, you kind of feel for him as well. And the thing is, is that with Michael B. Jordan's character, uh, you don't really feel that in here. Uh, so I, I think that that is, I think that's a great balance between the, between the two. Now, let me tell you about Letitia Wright. <laughs> uh, fucking idiot she is i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna say that right off right at the gate uh i don't agree with her ideals i don't agree with her as a person 
but man, I would hate to be her in terms of the um the 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 weight and the gravity that she had to take on as you know the um spoilers by the way the the next black panther i mean that is no easy feat i wouldn't want to be in that position because it's so gargantuan and it's so huge in in what you uh, in what what is given and she pulls it off really well i got to say and most of the movie's focus is on her you know, and I think that that is, uh, I think that's a bonus. That's a, I think that's a bonus. And she kicks ass. She kicks all sorts of ass, you know, badass as a, <laughs> as my counterpart, Jason Momoa would say. Um, but she, she did amazingly well in this movie. And, you know, honestly, and Denai Carrera, holy shit. Angela Bassett, my God. Lupita Nyong'o, fuck it. You know, <laughs> I mean, all of these ladies and I love how much of like a girl boss movie this was, you know, I mean, uh, what Black Panther, I mean, I'm not but Black Panther, Black Widow was trying to be in terms of saying, yeah, look at us, you know, man, I feel like a woman, you know, quote, the great philosopher Shania Twain. <laughs> um, this movie, I feel is the best uh, a female representation in the MCU by far, by far in a way. It's the it's probably the most times that they kick ass. So by by the time the most they they give in their own regency, you know, other than look at we're a female character, you know. So I think that was really refreshing um, as well. A lot of things that Ryan Coogler did in this movie were uh, I think a bonus, and the writing I think uh, did that. Uh, going more to spoiler territory, um, the thing that I did not, uh, um, was not thoroughly entertained with or like, inter- uh, or just had a remote interest in, um, the introduction of Riri Williams, Riri Williams. I think that's her, I think that's her name as, uh, as Ironheart. And, uh, I think that this plot line, yes, it was, it was needed, um, the, you know, as your MacGuffin, so to speak, but I think that that scientist could have been anybody in the MCU. I mean, fuck, it could have been Peter Parker or whatever, and it, it would have been just as serviceable. It could have been, um, you know, it could have been Bruce Banner. Wouldn't that have been funny? <laughs> um, but I think that, uh, I think that was i think a detriment because like this is supposed to be your introduction to a big character that's gonna be leading one of your films and for her to be um kind of nonchalantly introduced like this i think that there should have been a lot more pomp and circumstance you know much like the fireworks that's displayed behind uh alexis soto here (laughs) um so I think that it would have been uh, a lot better if uh, Riri was, uh, um, if they were going to introduce her, like rework her, you know, I think that they could have done like one more draft with uh, at least her character, you know, and I think that that would have been a better, um, a better fit 
to uh what what they're trying to do with uh with her i like the fact that she is a young girl much like uh uh, uh shuri is and so you had that camaraderie and how um uh you had um ramon ramonda i think that's her name queen ramonda of uh of uh of wakanda i think that her sacrifice and protecting her uh is i think uh i i i like that because it's a it's very profound because by and large she's a mother you know she's a mother and she's gonna kick in those maternal instincts and i love how like despite everything um despite how like this is what's keeping the enemy um from destroying everything that you love is i love that they that no matter what she still protected her you know a random stranger which i think was a deeper i think that was a profound uh um i think it was a profound sacrifice in that way you know but again like riwi could have been anybody and it would have still made the same effect you know because because of that small little effort uh and yeah i think that the um that the death of uh of angela bassett i think it's just because we got to spend more time with her in uh in the mcu than we did with uh john canny's uh character i i don't i forgot what his name is um but i i think that his i think that her death was more profound than the one that uh that john canny uh had in the in terms of the context of the story uh and honestly i think that it was a better death um surprise surprise uh uh apollo creed jr comes up in the woodwork and you have michael b jordan coming in and doing like uh kind of like the doubt the metaphorical devil on your shoulder uh which i think was a more profound use than i i think it's a more um endearing use of your michael b jordan than uh was done in the first black panther and uh so yeah a lot of things are better this time around you know and uh and and i think that this movie really uh ran with it you know um my second biggest gripe of this movie is the uh everett ross thing um, because you know that this move, that this move particularly is setting up what's going to be, uh, seen in like Thunderbolts and whatever, and you're going to, or secret invasion or secret invasion, whatever, whatever secret pro, whatever project is going to be involved, you know? And, and again, it's, well, that's what I mean though. It's multiple projects. It's not just and, one, which makes it worse. And you see, the thing is, is that again, like what I was saying beforehand, it was like, Oh, look, we're setting up 10 movies. Right here, right now. Let's do it. Um, or like uh, Alex Jones says, "We're here, we're here, man." <laughs> I'm sorry. This is what happens when I'm left up to my own devices here. Um, uh, so uh, I yeah, and I don't know what. I mean, it's nice seeing um julie leo dreyfus and things but this particular project uh, uh it would have made more sense to have thunderbolt ross himself 
in this. I think that would have been more um more meaningful, I think, if they were to go through this route, but they went with Valent Valentine? Valentina, whatever whatever her name is, whatever the fuck. I don't give a shit. Um and it it just it it comes off as um quite it comes off as desperate it's a big big uh big word to throw out but it it feels very desperate it's like seeing it again spoilers to the if you haven't seen it already it's like seeing Charlize Theron at the end of uh, Multiverse of Madness it's just like all right way to throw off all momentum and uh in your project guys great great it's like a little speck when you're trying to restore uh, a picture uh, a painting and that speck just won't go away but you're trying to somehow make that speck work in the grand context of the picture but you forget that the picture that you're making that you're trying to restore is the mona lisa but again like it, it it would have been perfect had not been for those two elements i think i feel um but overall i i thoroughly enjoyed black panther uh, wakanda forever or, you know and it's just it, it felt it felt really good also refreshing that it had no like end end you know credit sequence you know um a little thing that i know that i know is that a lot of people didn't think that there were any kind of uh uh, end credits to speak of because in the original showing um uh to test audiences the one where um shuri meets uh tatala jr <laughs> at the end of the thing was tagged at the at very end of the movie was at the very end of the movie and then roll credits so a lot of people didn't think that there would be a mid-credit sequence um I like that they save that for like the um the end stinger of the credits because it let the um the moment of silence for uh Chadwick Boseman to be uh, to have a little bit more weight to it. Uh and also I really liked what they did cuz you know like Marvel sometimes like switches up the uh the Marvel Studios intro logo whatever. And I really love what they did for uh, Chadwick in this one. I think that was uh, I think that was beautiful. Made me kind of choked up. Um, and when Shuri is just thinking about it, you don't hear anything. You just see flashes of images of Chadwick Boseman up on screen. And when you see that, I feel more. Um, I feel I feel the weight. I feel the weight that this movie was carrying. You know, and I think that that's what left. Uh, left an impact with me just how how touching and sincere this movie was in terms of not only um uh past messages that they're trying to do with uh with this incarnation of black panther but towards the actor in itself who was you know who tragically was you know left this earth way too fucking soon and so uh with that being said it just i i think that it it had i think it carried a bigger emotional punch uh post endgame in terms of where the mcu is so yeah i think yeah 
Yeah, I mean that's all. That's all I got on the on the movie. I I don't know if uh, I don't know if you listeners, aka uh, Sergio, <laughs> are listening to this, uh, which most likely you are. By the way, happy belated birthday. Uh, <laughs> um. So yeah, I think that I I I I liked it. I thought. You know, I liked it as uh, as somebody on the panel uh, <laughs> um, says or used to say. She hasn't said that in in a very hot minute. Mostly, like, what is there to be like? I liked it as a, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that it it really, I think it packed a punch. I I think it, I think it packed a punch, and it's a refreshing packed a punch that I think Marvel needs. You know, because there's been seldom projects that has done that since um, the ultimate, you know, punch in the in the series. So, yeah, uh, Alexis Soto. Um, what do you what do you think about what I said? You, uh, yeah, agree? a lot do of the stuff disagree? that I agree with. Um, yeah, a lot of the stuff I think was more in line with the review that Alexis and I had last time. I think I think one of the more interesting aspects of this movie is to see how it's going to age. Like, how are we going to feel about this movie just in a month from now? Yeah. Um, or by the time we get to around March or April, and that's usually the time of the year where we have our like top ten lists. It's going to be really interesting how the film ages at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, that's <clears throat> what I'm cu- really curious to see. Um, before we move on, I do have a couple of questions here. Um, have you finished turning red? <laughs> that's a no. Okay. Uh, do you plan to finish turning red? Yes, I do. Okay. Have you seen RRR? No. Okay, now Alexis, your turn. Have you seen everything everywhere all at once yet? Damn, everybody's getting in the hot seat. Okay, today. Alexis, have you seen have you seen Nope yet? No, but it's on HBO now. We have it purchased. What do you mean oh. it's on HBO? It's been on the Voodoo Movies Anywhere thing for like oh, a I month have already. That on my thing. What do you mean you don't have that on your thing? Everybody I, should have... It logged me out and then I just never asked for the thing again. Then ask and you shall receive. That's how these things work. Kyle went out of his way to purchase the damn thing. It's I, there. I loved it that much. Oh my god. It's like, oh. <sighs> I, I I knew I it. I also don't have a fire stick anymore. My parents took it from me. That damn those bastards. <laughs> That's bad. Um, you guys got to see these movies. I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know which one of you is worse. Like, uh, um, excuse me. I mean, with well, excuse me. Everything, everywhere, and nope are among the best films of the year. They are. They really are. I mean, it's just that. I mean. There's no excuse, considering how much we've been raving. If Peter were here, <laughs> he would burn an effigy. I barely have time to watch the things that we're talking about today. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And you should be commended for watching as many things as you do. Now, it's just one or two things in your exception. That's for sure. Um, but it's just like, I, I just want to remind people because you should watch them. Um, but at least we've all seen Top Gun Maverick. It's great. We love it. So there's that. 
the danger zone. And and since we're on that, what have you? I don't. And, and I don't, I discussed this with you, Alexis. I haven't had the chance to say this to you, Kyle. But there is serious conversation in that movie getting not only a best picture nomination, but there is now serious talk of Tom Cruise sneaking in there for a best acting nomination. How do you guys feel? <laughs> 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 Why are you laughing maniacally? I did not. It's like an evil villain laugh. Like what, what's going oh on? Oh my god! No, no, no! <laughs> I enjoy that movie a lot. Mm-hmm. It's even top ten material for me. But no fucking way should be he be in the conversation of best actor if anybody in that movie maybe Miles, but specifically Val Kilmer should be in that conversation and supporting, you know? So like, the reason I should, I should clarify the, the reason for why he's being talked is because they're having a hard time. And when I see they, I'm, I'm, I'm just like right now, well, the conversation, stupid. well, let me, I, I want to be clear about who they is, not they the Academy are. voters, the Academy Voters are not having a conversation. The pundits are having a conversation. And the race for best actor is difficult to fill with five slots. Everybody knows Brendan Fraser is going to win. So now it's like, who are the other so people filler. who are going to be? Right. That's the thing. It's like, we got to fill in five slots. Is he slots. even going to go? <laughs> he's not going to go to the Golden Globes because he was groped by one of their members a few okay. years ago. So he's not going to attend that ceremony. Very understandable, obviously, about that. And who knows? Maybe they'll give it to him, but then that'll be awkward. I don't know. That's, Let's see. That'd be funny. <laughs> oh, by the way. I hope they do. Oh, by the Only way. because uh-huh. he's going to be like, fuck you. Yeah. I, yes, Which Kyle. I hope he does. That'd be awesome. I mean, he kind of already did, but. Everybody will eat that shit up. It'll be be more talked about than the Chris Rock. By the way, that feels like it was like eons A million ago, years ago, yes. The Chris Rock, Will Smith bullshit. It's a million years ago, and one of the things I didn't mention because it's so safe, it's so vanilla, but I guess I should be somewhat grateful there's a host. Jimmy Kimmel's back to host for a third time. That's the definition of safe, <laughs> probably. Jimmy Kimmel's back. Bob Iger is back. Damn. A lot of people are back. Um, it's good to the be other back. Two, the other two that are for sure in the nomination, I would say Austin Butler in Elvis and Colin Farrell in Banshees of Inisherin are the ones that are filling up the roster. And so we're having a hard time finding five slots for that. I just wanted to ask about that. Robert but Pattinson there's the, the thing. Batman. Here's the thing. Well, thank you for, for – that's a great segue because here's the thing. There are like – Top Gun Maverick, I think, can seriously get a Best Picture nomination because people love the film and it made so much money. And it's playing well with that audience that votes for the Academy Awards. Here's the thing. And it may make this moot. At the moment, nobody really knows. Like, there's a there's a, actually a, an open, a, a number of open slots for best pictures. Oh, now wait, 10 wait, wait, wait. Before, before I forget, before I forget, when does The Whale come out? December. Sometime in December. We're not sure of it yet. Okay. I want to, I mean, I, I want to fucking I see can, that because that's on like one of the top of my lists to watch. Well, of course we're going to go see that movie. Um, 
I believe it's 824 that's distributing. Oh, the the national release is December the 9th. December so the 9th. Soon. Yeah. December the 9th. So, so that's pretty soon. Um, usually, there's only room for one blockbuster. However, there are a number of really interesting films that fit the description of blockbuster movies, but that have also been um, previously nominated for Oscars themselves, or at least previous entries. Mm-hmm. For example... Avatar won and was nominated for a lot of Oscars. We will see how good or not the sequel is, but you would assume that because it's James Cameron's name on it, it's going to get some kind of play at the same time. Interestingly enough, we all agree Black Panther Wakanda Forever is a far superior film than the original. Black Panther did receive, among many things, a Best Picture nomination and won three Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone seriously believes it's going to get much of anything um the the sequel anyway uh this time around and there's names you know they're being name dropped top gun maverick wakanda forever the way of water but you know i would say a blockbuster that also succeeds in being an amazing film on its own right that's not being seriously considered for anything and that's the batman which is the best film (laughs) With the name Batman on it, and I think I think still the best blockbuster of the year, mm-hmm. easily. That I For think should have serious. Yes, easily. Yeah. Uh, like what? Like hello? That that film. I'm gonna say it. It's worthy of a best picture nomination. It just is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, October thirty first. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned, Kyle, you recently saw that again during Halloween. No! 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 This is not how it's supposed to go! (laughs) Oh my god. If you are justice, please do not lie. What is the price for your blind eye? Talk about performances. Paul Dano should get Best Supporting Dude, nomination for the Riddler. <laughs> he might get one for Fablemans, but he should get one for the Batman. <laughs> I like I like how Spielberg, you know, <laughs> was <laughs> all throughout all of Paul Dano's career. Just watching him play these like fucked up little freaks, and, lunatics, and the first thought he thinks of is dad. <laughs> <laughs> it might be kind of weird when we see Fablemans and he's playing a loving person. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but you know what another movie that's not being talked about everything everywhere is in the conversation it is among the front runners for best picture maybe even winning and it's going to get a lot of nominations kiki kwan is currently the front runner to win best supporting actor for that film great what do you know the movie that's not getting discussed enough and i th- i thought the world of it i love it and you do too kyle nope jordan peele's film it's great it should be in consideration yeah. honestly Dude, I 
I've watched that movie, I think, f- four times already. Wow. Wow. And holy shit, it keeps on getting better and better. I get, I, I continuously see new details in it that I had never seen before. I love the design of the creature. I love everything that goes in it. Kiki Palmer should be. I think of everybody there. I think Kiki Palmer should be up and running. Of she's like electric. Absolutely, yeah. she should be deserving of a nomination. Absolutely. Uh, she's great in that fucking film. And, and even though Daniel Kaluuya is understated, shall we say, that's the character he's playing. Mm-hmm. He is a gifted actor in that he doesn't have to talk. In that nope. film, you can read his expression on his face and that's all you need. <laughs> I watched it with my dad like a week ago. <laughs> that was uh, time number four of uh, watching mm-hmm. the movie. And every, every time he look, every time he says nope, nope, he just bursts. He just bursts out laughing. <laughs> Alexis, there's a scene in the film. I want to understand again. Obviously, I love the movie. Aliens are in the movie because uh, you see the trailer. Duh, it's a no brainer. There is a scene. There's a scene in the film involving aliens, kind of that made me want to like run away, crying in terror. Wow. Yeah. Surprising. You know that you you'll know it when you see it. Oh, you, no. Okay, Moreno. Nope. Moreno. Nope. You know how you felt. <laughs> you know how you felt watching Jaws. Yes. Yeah. I wish you were there in our conversation of smile. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Kyle saw smile with us. Yeah, I literally right? freaked yeah. out. I really. Oh, we, we were freaking each other out when we were reviewing the movie. I had to take my earphones out because I was like, he was describing a part in the movie, and I was like, nope, nope, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally nope. Mm-hmm. Uh, half of honestly, Moreno, I need to watch more horror movies with you because half of my enjoyment was just seeing you freak the fuck out. Like honestly, like the joy of the discomfort that you have. Is <laughs> I don't know, call call me a sadist. <laughs> I mean that's I'm uh, yeah. But honestly, see the reaction is part of part of the fun. It's like I could see why you know all these like reaction videos are a big thing because just seeing you you know hop from place to place like a <laughs> like a fucking bunny rabbit is awesome she was getting me scared too more scared watching smiles so i was like i don't know about you kai i mean you might have gotten more of a kick out of it i was like fuck this girl's like making me more nervous like there was a point where i was like eyeing my exits no it was like making one... <laughs> no it was uh it amplified my fun of watching the movie there was a point where she like, was like is, she the thing is is that i don't really get scared with scary movies i mean i'm not trying to be like you know all big big and macho and all that stuff but the thing is is that like i don't really get scared in you know in scary movies you know because i because you know nothing especially after like the trump presidency especially after everything else that's been happening in the world i'm kind of and i and again it goes to the message of nope desensitized with all the spectacle that's been that i've been you know engaged with over over the years so when i see a movie like like smile um i'm coming kind of numb to like all the, like the jump scares and 
blood and whatever and have you. So it's nice to see a fresh perspective coming out of like somebody like Moreno, you know, who who is scared easily and like this and like I, I was living vicariously through you, Moreno, because like you do get scared with these kind of movies. This is what that this is what this type of medium is supposed to be for. You know, she scared me when she got scared because somebody opened a zipper nearby us. It wasn't even in the movie. That's great. You know what, Moreno? That was funny. Moreno, thank God you didn't have a pop tart because that would have been dropped. Well, things fell, I'm sure. Oh, at God. At some point. Nah. Uh, but the audience we experienced it had a lot of fun, too. So that also makes it, I would say. Yeah. Before we move like on, everybody. I do want- okay. Uh, a minor without context. It was so funny. Like, everybody in unison said, Oh, my God, it's the fucking cat. <laughs> Yeah, everybody knew that. <laughs> I want to. Uh, you can hear the little like, no, no, no. like before <laughs> anything happened. I, I do want to say before we move on, some movies that I would hope both of you keep in mind to check out at some point. Um, I mentioned this probably several times. Emma Thompson's movie, uh, "Good Luck to You, Leo Grand," currently streaming on Hulu, uh, produced by Fox Searchlight, or sorry, Searchlight, not Fox anymore. Um, Emma Thompson should be considered for best actress this year. And it's a, a crime that she's not. I really do think it's one of her better performances. And of course, we're all big fans of Emma Thompson. And it's such a very honest and sincere film about its subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would recommend you guys don't skip that film. And then also... I'm envious you saw Tar. Exactly. I was going to mention Tar with Kate Blanchett fucking incredible um it's a film you're gonna want to see again because there's some details when you watch it a second time i have yet to see it a second time Mm -hmm. but i got to see tar and it was like wow this is cinema (laughs) and kate oh my god kate kate may may have given her best performance in this movie too uh like aside from playing a monkey yes which we'll get to in a minute also don't forget the spectacular rrr the biggest film coming out of india right now um that one has literally every genre <laughs> embedded into its DNA. It's it's an amazing watch. Um, also, don't skip Light and Magic, the documentary on Disney Plus. That is two C, not to be missed. As well There's as also, um, a Mickey Mouse documentary that really was released, and a lot of people are liking it. I hadn't heard of that one. I'll go look that one up right now. Uh, the Woman King. Viola Davis is phenomenal in that film. That's actually a really great movie. Like the the Woman King, as far as like a like a spectacle is concerned, I would say is on par. It reminds me of old films like Gladiator and Braveheart. It's 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 a great like epic leaning movie. Yeah, I mean it's great. It's a great movie. Um, and Pearl, Mia Goth is horrific and and beautiful. Uh, beautifully haunting in that movie. Um. So I just wanted to remind you guys of those films that were out there, not to forget them, because we're going to have to be reminding ourselves. And that's just touching the, you know, scratching the surface, because there's still so many movies left. Uh-huh. Still so many movies left. So anyway, without any further ado, Kyle, we went to go see Pinocchio. Alexis also saw Pinocchio this past weekend with David. Um, this is a really interesting story. Uh, Alexis and I were texting, and she mentioned that she was going to see Pinocchio. And I was like, what? That's already playing? Because I knew, like, this is the Netflix film. It was going to have a limited theatrical release because... To for awards consideration, uh-huh. we also the reviews and they were stellar. And I'm like, that bitch, she gets to see Pinocchio, and I'm like, oh no, 
Well, I, I went to go see if it was playing in San Diego because we're going to go to San Diego pretty recently. As a matter of fact, Kyle and I and Peter to go see some films that are not going to play near us, like Glass Onion, among others. And so I was like, okay, well, if it's playing in San Diego, we can catch it then and there. Little did I know, it was actually playing in our area. Not in the theater that we normally go to, but in the, uh, the one in a metropolitan, uh, it's called the Metropolitan Franchise Theater, uh, Calexico 10. And I was like, really? Really? I, I was blown away that it was actually playing. So I, I uh, called Kyle and Peter and they were like, sure, why the fuck not? Let's go. And for the first time since Coco in 2017, we entered that theater um, and we saw uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, before we get to that, uh, the Letterbox, of course, sponsored review. How can we, of course, forget that here? Um, but Peter's not here. It doesn't matter. Love will give you life. During the rise of fascism in Mussolini's Italy, a wooden boy brought magically to life struggles to live up to his father's expectations. We didn't need... I don't think any of us ever wanted, really, a Pinocchio movie or a Pinocchio story. And I think in the... uh wake shall we say of disney doing their own remake of their own uh <laughs> masterpiece uh, of their own masterpiece well hey i mean pinocchio 1942 pinocchio is a beloved film for the ages we've we've long since established that the the the, the source material is so old people know the story of course disney made theirs and it was crap of uh, which we all knew it would, we would be we talked about it a few weeks back um but when you hear Guillermo del Toro was making a Pinocchio film, a stop motion animated Pinocchio movie, that turns your head. And it's like, okay, that might be interesting because Guillermo del Toro is, if nothing else, one of the most passionate and interesting and, um, full of heart filmmakers, I think, that has ever graced cinema. When you think of the many movies he's made, anywhere, and the vitality and the versatility, I should say, of the films that he's made, anywhere from Kronos, a wonderful vampire story, to Pan's Labyrinth, The Devil's Backbone, Hellboy, Hellboy 2, Blade 2, which was awesome. I don't know if people remember that movie. It was amazing. Um, and of course, The Best Picture, Shape of Water, Pacific Rim, the only like kaiju movie I actually really respond to is that movie, uh, his Pacific Rim film. So beautiful. Uh, even though uh, some of us didn't care too much for it, but Nightmare Alley, I loved. I couldn't get enough of Nightmare Alley. I loved it so much. So I, I love Guillermo. I love his movies. But something about the, the sensibilities of the story Pinocchio, it made me like, oh, this is going to be something special. It really would be. And the information that I've like, that has, you know, I've been made aware of uh, through just like researching like what it took. It took 10 years for him to make this movie. It took 10 years for somebody to say yes to this movie. Oh. To be clear about that. Yeah, because Guillermo, God bless him, he tries. He goes and pitches his movies and most time he gets rejected. And you have to have a certain amount of respect for him because he does not accept anything less than full control. 
and I believe um what haunted he mansion said, <laughs> exactly yeah let's, yeah sorry I had that, something stuck no but that. no that that's real that, that that's that that's a film everybody wanted him to make he wanted to make and Disney no they were like no um. I want to hear a tweet from Will Mavity. Guillermo del Toro says he spent half of his career trying to get Pinocchio made. Everyone said no for more than 10 years until Netflix said yes. Said they let him make his film without having to compromise. Quote, they promised no studio notes and that nobody would fuck with us. And again, you got to admire that. Like del Toro, who is a filmmaker, by the way, that has been crushed before from projects that were canceled while he was in production. Um, he knows, uh, and has been in this business for a long time now. And so, and what also made this even more special is that this is a film that he dedicated to his mother and father. Um, and as we mentioned before, he lost his mother quite recently, the day before the premiere of Mm -hmm. this film. So a lot of, um, emotions definitely going on here. Uh, and a lot of, and you could also say, I would all of his movies, to an extent, are very personal. This could be um, his most personal film yet. Um, at least all of the anticipation going into it. Um, I think two out of the three of us here like Pinocchio, the Disney animated movie, uh, for what it is. Um, and that's not a judgment call, right? It's, it's, if you like it, you do. And if you don't, well, you know, that's that's your call, obviously, right? Um but Alexis was actually like really excited because she doesn't like Pinocchio like at all or the story. And she was like saying, you know, in the weeks leading up to the film, yeah, the, I don't know. There's just something about this version of the story and the things that we were hearing about it that it, you know, leaned into. It didn't hide away from the fascism element that was definitely present at that time in Italy. It didn't hide away from a lot of hard truths. And that's exactly like when you think about Del Toro, he is... The fables and fairy tales that he has held close to are very much in his DNA. And he's always been about, in his movies, showing them for what they are. You know, unbridled. It's it's never been... It, the whole Disney way of doing fairy tales has not never been Del Toro. Um, you look, look at Pan's Labyrinth or, or look at um, The Devil's Backbone and you see it then and there. And so, yeah, him doing a tale like Pinocchio... It was going to be worth seeing. And for me, quite easily, um, my initial reaction to the film is, it is a tale for the ages. I think quite easily this is the definitive version of the story. And it's going to be a film more so than just talked about as easily among the best of the 2022 year. It's going to be a film I'm going to easily revisit at several stages of my life because I would say that the, the the messages, the themes, and the overall impact of what it's had on me is just like, yeah, that's a film I'm going to come back to until I die. It, it's it's practically perfect in every way, to borrow a coin of term from Mary Poppins. I overwhelmed in certain moments with just emotion um yeah i've already seen this twice so i was like yeah loved it completely and uh also a fun little tidbit here uh, about the film uh 
there are songs in it. It's somewhat a musical, which is not some things some of us were expecting. And aside from the wonderful, beautiful score by Alexander Desplat, Guillermo also uh, has uh, co-writing credit on the songs themselves. So, so much uh, put into it. To say nothing, of course, of how stunning the animation is. Mm-hmm. How stunning the work of the puppets are. And I, I, I really do hope that Guillermo's popularity within the Academy. Remember, Nightmare Alley got a Best Picture nomination. That should tell you, because nobody saw that movie, and that got a Best Picture nomination. So I am hoping, against all odds, that this film isn't left, you know, in the wings and is recognized for the achievement that it is. And if nothing else, I would think it is the front runner for Best Animated Feature, hoping, of course, to get a Best Picture nomination. And if it does... It would be the first ever stop motion animated film to ever achieve that, which would be quite the accomplishment. Um, I personally, through his films, I have a connection with with Guillermo. I feel, and this film deepens it even further. Loved it completely. All right, you guys go. Moreno. <laughs> So, I think I fell into that dilemma of the movie being way too overhyped mm-hmm. for me. Um, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I think it's a beautiful movie. I do think that it improved the story mm-hmm. but it wasn't I don't know I think I wanted to love it more sure and it just I did it one of the things that could be a barrier for that um, and I believe one of the YouTubers that I follow the film drunk yes that's his name let's not question that um He's drunk and he loves movies. He likes he he also felt like you did a lot because where he like he liked the film a lot and about what it's doing and what it says, but it's still a Pinocchio story and he doesn't particularly care for Pinocchio and so a lot of that's going to keep him from loving it and I think that's how you're feeling right now. I think so too. It's like a lot of it's like yeah this is Pinocchio, and if you don't if you don't like the story well, what can you do about that? Yeah, but I. Like I said, I'm happy with the things that it added mm-hmm. to the story of Pinocchio because I, like, I did enjoy it mm-hmm, and I yeah. did like it. And I can't really say that about the other. <laughs> you can't say that about any of the other ones. Yeah. So. And it looks so pretty. It's so pretty. It's such a good looking movie. It's insane. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know. That's just kind of how I felt afterwards. And, and like, it's funny because I think David cried in the movie. I did it, surprisingly. I did, several uh, times. I cried a lot more than that ended. After uh, the movie, yeah. I feel like we both wanted to say it, but then he kind of was like, it was good. I think it was way too overhyped. Mm. And I was like, oh my god, okay. <laughs> I was happy You're didn't. not alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, 
but I do think that it deserves best animation, like every all the awards, because mm-hmm. it was it was really good. Yeah, the thing is, like, it with it being Pinocchio, it's still very much a simple story. It, but I I feel like for me, the changes that were made here from what I already know of Pinocchio more than enough were able to really connect with me and yeah I mean I wasn't overwhelmingly moved initially with the movie but I really really liked it I I know I really loved it and then when I went to go see it again it's like no this is like this is perfect for me it's still a Pinocchio story right but it's like everything that I you know really gel with as far as like um what films make me feel and with what I would say like with the philosophy of life um is really embedded in the DNA of that and the performances to me are so unbelievably moving everybody from George Martin the newcomer who plays here Pinocchio and also uh David Bradley's amazing Gregory, Geppetto Gregory Mann Did I say Gregory Mann? Oh I say George R. R. Martin <laughs> George Martin George Martin <laughs> Gregory Mann <laughs> I uh, speaking of I see you got Westeros yeah. in the mind. Gregory Mann, <laughs> who plays Pinocchio, and um, uh, David Bradley's amazing uh, turn as Geppetto. Ewan McGregor as uh, Sebastian A. Cricket, I believe. Fantastic. Oh my God. He, the, the, the comedy with him was amazing. The amount of times he got stepped on or crushed, or and his the line pain. of like, oh, the pain. <laughs> When he sang and he keeps trying to sing and then he keeps getting cut off that first that time. Funny. So funny. So the humor here lands. My father. Boom. <laughs> My father. <laughs> so great. Smash. So it's like, uh, I, I felt that off. I felt that off of you. And I understand. I understand like the overhypeness of it. I do hope though, in future viewings, maybe that, that, that stance softens because yeah, it's a Pinocchio story. It's not going to be that much more than that, but I would say that therein lies the beauty for me and the simplicity. The, 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 the switch here is basically with Pinocchio not being made to change who he is and the lessons mm-hmm. here for Geppetto to accept his son for who he is. I thought made mm-hmm. it all the better, at least for me. And clearly to update the story for today's modern sensibilities. I thought that worked really well. Christoph Waltz was amazing as Count Volpe. Um, uh, what was it? And of course, the, the fascism stuff. Wow. <laughs> we have people fucking do Fantastic. the Nazi salutes in this yeah. movie. So um, thank you, Guillermo, for not erasing that. Disney would never, yeah. as Kyle said out loud in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally pointed to uh, both Peter and uh, Alexis. I was like, Disney doesn't have the balls no. to do this shit. Um, no. And I appreciate it. Oh, are, are you guys... Yes, go. Are you guys done? <clears throat> go. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I watched this movie uh, with, with you guys. Pleasant surprise. So, pleasant surprise. And I, I was like, oh, shit. We're getting Pinocchio. Okay. Um, didn't know if, if I had the time for it, but I'm glad that I did. Uh, and I came out of the movie. First of all, I'm going to put, I'm going to set a precedent for this, uh, for this film going uh, forward. This is easily a uh, uh, contender for my top 10 list. 
of this year in terms of movies because here's the thing like i knew i wanted to watch this movie um so i stayed the fuck away from reactions i stayed the fuck away from you know everything under the sun about this movie did you see the trailer no i did not i didn't see the trailer um the only thing i saw was like the announcement trailer that came out Mm. um months ago and that's it uh i've pretty much kept clean because i didn't want to you know i just wanted to go and clean much like how i did with the shape of water because i knew nothing about that movie Mm -hmm. and i came out really liking that movie um so going in i was like okay let's see let's see what this this movie does uh sink or swim like uh like the great cthulhu (laughs) so i i came out of this movie i was like wow literally disney could never <laughs> disney could never i i was like oh wow we're doing this i i literally turned to you when uh when uh ron perlman's character did the did the nazi salute and i was just like oh it's this movie um and then in, and then insert a, a a bunch of catholic guilt in this movie as well <laughs> enough to where um uh, uh, instead of uh, well-darnished uh, cuckoo clocks, it's a gigantic-ass <laughs> crucifix. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, digging down into my uh, uh, my Catholic guilt-ridden fears. <laughs> um, so I was like, I literally this said... This is your horror story i feel like you and 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 the crucifixes are like me i had that experience with my fear in wakanda forever when the damn killer whales came out i was like oh no i was like (laughs) like the shit jumped out of me (laughs) you're terrified of killer whales i am you don't know this no you have to listen to our last episode it was funny what the fuck okay all right i have nightmares of being i have nightmares of being like torn apart by those things it's yeah it's Maybe you know what you know what they say. They say that your greatest fear is how you died in a previous life. Great, Kyle. Thank you for letting me think of that. Now that's not going to go anywhere. Fuck. You're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, animatronics. Animatronics died. (laughs) I died at Disneyland. You died. Were you one of the ones that died at Disneyland? Oh my god. Throwback to the forbidden episode <laughs> that we did on the fantasy fair. Oh my god, um, the lost episode, never... the lost <laughs> episode. Yeah, no, I still, I still have it. <laughs> it's, it's still in operation, ready for oh you. Oh my god! <laughs> no, it's, when when the killer whales came joke. out, well, kind of forever. My skin was crawling. Really? Yeah, I, I like, did not know that. Uh, hey, do you want to go to SeaWorld? No, I'm okay. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. Um, Shark Tale must be a nightmare for you. Um, oh, I so don't anyway. think I've ever finished that movie. All the way through. <laughs> he said too scary. Yeah, too sure. scary. Shark Tale, too scary. <laughs> no, I, I did. The, in Happy Feet, those fucking killer whales were, were scary. Oh, yeah. Oh. They're vicious predators. They're apex predators. 
Uh, they are. Great whites fear them. So what does that tell you? They kill great white sharks for mm-hmm. fun. For fun. Not even for like survival or anything like that. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's there's awesome. Like, I, there's long documented stories of ships being attacked by killer whales. Fucking metal. Fucking metal. And you're scared of that shit? That's fucking awesome. But here I am. And here, I love the ocean. And she's the one that's afraid of the ocean. And uh, I work for a Catholic institution. And here I that's am. That's the thing that I can't get over. It's like, <laughs> you're, like, when you see a crucifix, like, you, I saw you when, when that came up in the movie, Kyle. Like, you stopped dead in your tracks. Like, oh, shit. But then you work at the Catholic church. It's like, what? 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 And I love Disney. <laughs> and I love the ocean. It's, uh, it's, uh, no pun intended. It's my cross to bear. <laughs> um, so anyway, so, yeah, so I, like, stayed clear away from all the, you know, all the, all the goody goodies in the, you know, on the interwebs about this movie. And, uh, great great i i love that i did that you know good job kyle you did it uh so i saw the movie and i was absolutely inspired by this movie this movie was very inspiring the visuals were so breathtaking i love like there was this one shot where the monkey um uh was going to uh christoph waltz in it and just like going through like the town the city and all that stuff i was like damn the movement in here is so fucking crisp like this is how like people must have felt when they watched nightmare before christmas in theaters for the first time Hmm. like this this shit is stunning like the visually visually it's stunning and it's inspired i love the way that fucking pinocchio looks like pinocchio looks fucked up <laughs> um, i mean it's fucked up how he's made that that i yeah, love yeah. how it's the, the, i love that that the, the built in a drunken horror. tirade you know unrestrained it's unrestrained kinda, like, everywhere and again you see like the love that uh guillermo del toro has for like the horror elements of things and here you have the perfect meta the frankenstein metaphor mm-hmm. you know because that's what fairy tales are right like fairy tales are horrific yeah we forget that but true fairy tales have always had like pretty horrific shit go down like fucking i mean even this one yeah it, the actual pinocchio stuff. Yeah. Mm. even this one disney couldn't like completely erase all the yeah things in their version of it yeah um like with all the like lightning and, and you know making him in the middle of a storm it's just like fantastic the ambiance of this movie is fantastic and alexander desplat um his work in this movie was absolutely crisp he has another academy award nomination for best score i'm telling you that right it's there, already there right yeah. then and there fantastic he he did amazing i I was like, this sounds like this sounds like a little flavor of Shape of Water here. And lo and behold, it was. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I was right. I was right. Cool. Um. So I was watch. So I watched the movie, and it was, um, funny in unexpected places. Um yeah. And uh, like nervous laughter when all the Nazi stuff is included somewhere. Yeah, I love how the instead of instead of Pleasure Island, mm-hmm. it's a fucking Nazi camp. It's a, youth, it's a Hitler youth camp, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
so i i like that element of it um yeah oh by the way the water animation fucking killer and, and you know it's it's stop motion it's too. stop motion yeah how the fuck did they do that shit um so i was taken completely aback by what i was like seeing i love the fact that they made monstro look like a fucking <laughs> like cthulhu looking creature i i it's so inspired it's so inspired and it just kind of makes me feel even more depressed with whatever atrocious behemoth that came out of the disney picture house you know so i was just i i was just like I, I had secondhand embarrassment. Because see, the thing is, is that I never... Because <laughs> I I haven't seen that movie, but just watching... I Just watching this movie, I was just like, wow, this is bullshit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I... <clears throat> yeah, I I thoroughly I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Uh, it's a top ten contender for me in terms of like the best list and uh, and all that stuff. So yeah, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, ten out of fifteen, fifteen yeah. out of ten. I I find myself just endlessly mesmerized with all aspect of the film. I I, I quite enjoy the songs, uh, particularly I I love even just the, the whole beginning of the film with Carlo, and then how that ended was just devastating. Even the song that uh, David Bradley performed, "My Son," and then it came back with "Ciao, Papa," I believe it was called, when um, Pinocchio left him to go yeah. on the road with Volpe, just just quietly devastating i would say for me um and the emotion behind that uh really an aspect of it that's not as open i would say but it's still there in the background um the little thing going on with candlewick which is the the son of ron perlman that was also really good because then there's some one of the the quiet moments was when they're at the youth camp, basically. And you see it every now and then in the background that Candlewick is very insecure about himself. And you see mm -hmm. where he gets that from, that his father is very hard on him. And I just love that exchange at night uh, with Pinocchio and Candlewick. And then, you know, he's just in tears because he's just so sad that his father doesn't love him at all. Yeah. Uh, and you see that there. And that was that was a pretty emotionally raw moment of the film that's for sure unexpectedly so one i like how like eventually like the whole bit of you know the mistakes of the father kind of kind of angle in this uh in this mm -hmm. movie and i love how what he uh what sebastian relates to uh to pinocchio to pinocchio and it says that you know sometimes fathers you know eventually down the line They'll realize that they didn't mean all this, uh, you know, all the harshness uh, after all, you know, and I love how he relays that message to uh, to uh, Candlewick and all that stuff mm -hmm. um, before savagely turning into a donkey. I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but no, I, the thing that uh, was really uh, funny to me in this movie, just a sidestep him dying multiple times <laughs> that was kind of funny yes it was pinocchio in general has a lot of funny moments 
just like the he he's so fucked up looking in moments when yeah. he's introduced he kind of like crawls a little bit as he's played a little bit creepy the him like running Upstairs. Oh, hell no. And laughing in the distance? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Oh, the, yeah, hell. his first music number. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, <laughs> Just stress-inducing, well, but... <laughs> in true spirit to the original tale, from what I'm told, he can be a little shit. He's an and that's asshole what Pinocchio in is. the book. He kills Jiminy Cricket in the first, like, ten minutes of meeting him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, this movie didn't go easy on the cricket either, I would say. No, the pain. <laughs> the pain. <laughs> uh, endless suffering. <laughs> Speaking of that, I don't know, did you guys stay tuned for the credits? That was a great number Ewan McGregor performed. He I cannot believe we didn't see perform. it in the movie. He finally got it at the credits of the film. Be Gucci Souffle. I got <laughs> <laughs> She is the one. They want to break the spell. The humor is an underrated aspect, of course, of the film too. I mean, just like the whole when when Pinocchio kept dying, like just where he goes and those like blackjack playing sheep, the rabbits, yeah, the rabbits. and then the way that he like is like, oh yeah, I died. There's rabbits. There's poker. <laughs> 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 and lots and lots of sand. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Oh, um I just love how like it it becomes like, you know, like a workplace kind of scenario where you're you're clocking in <laughs> and, and like the rabbits literally clock in just to like watch Yeah, the that was so funny. The whole thing, and then like how Pinocchio enters as well, like a like a coworker, just like ah, you again, <laughs> kind of kind of thing. It's just like unexpectedly funny and hilarious mm-hmm. uh, that I was not expecting. I was expecting it to be like a straight up drama. Um, but yeah, it 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 just again, it's like that that Del Toro flair. You know, well, that poop number at Benito Mussolini's expense. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if um, this doesn't make you want to watch this movie, I don't know what will. Um, SpongeBob Square Pla- SquarePants plays Mussolini. Oh, wow. That's Tom Kenny's voice. Hey, but you can't top Kate Blanchett's amazing performance as Spatzatua, oh, the oh monkey. Oh, my God. I, I like Peter said. I want to see the behind the scenes footage of her in the recording booth going as oh, 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 oh. That was great. It was. And I even love the designs of what do we call them? Spirits, the fairies, played by Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Amazing design work all around. Really the craft all together. Almost looks like un- nightmare-ish, you know. Mm-hmm, yeah, kind of absolutely. Look to it. It, uh, mm-hmm. Like it, it, this version definitely sets itself apart from all the other adaptions of Pinocchio. In, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the thing is, is that with uh, I love like the tumultuous relationship between Geppetto and Pinocchio in in this movie because like you don't see that usually it's just like oh my good old boy my good old son great my Pinocchio he's the best no Mm -hmm. he's just like 
what the fuck are you? Get away from me. Yeah. They gave him they gave him more of a story, more to do, which I enjoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um gosh. It's such a charming film. Endlessly Bradley. Charming. Oh my god. He is great in this movie. He he's a, he's perfect. I, I I wouldn't have thought of it, but it's like fuck. It it took me a long time to realize that was David Bradley. It's like whoa shit, but yeah, great it sound, voice. It sounded like him. Like a lot of the one, a lot of the actors. Like for example, Christoph Waltz stuck out like a sore thumb. I was just like, that sounds like Christoph. But I love Waltz. Christoph Waltz in anything. He's Would great. you like some good. delicious milk? Yes, <laughs> that's my best Christoph Waltz impression. I'm sorry. Um, it it just it, it really. Uh, all I could say is that it was inspiring. It was really inspiring mm-hmm. to watch. And I haven't felt that way about an animated movie like that. It's probably probably into the Spider-Verse. I haven't felt that way towards a towards an animated film like that. And so. like it, hopefully it's one of the only non-Disney animated films to win in the category at the Academy Awards. I'm hoping yeah, for that. Fingers crossed. Now, that isn't just that isn't to sneeze at some other films. I thought Turning Red was fantastic. And I think mm-hmm. if it in any other year, it would absolutely be deserving of a win. Because I think that's an inspired story that Pixar allowed to be told and don't take anything away from it. But it's also been a good year for animated films as well. Um but I would also want to say that the the ending particular of this film was quite devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like shook. Yeah, powerful too. Yeah, uh, I loved it so much. Everybody, uh, the ending. Di- but, yeah. Everybody dies pretty much around him. You know. Yeah, yeah. Which is what will happen to all of us one day, one by one. We'll we'll see who goes first and who goes last. But somebody will be left last. We don't know what's going, who's going to be. I mean. Moreno, Moreno, Moreno yeah, she's she's lived like I'm Pinocchio, nine hundred years old. Oh shit! <laughs> she'll be left alone, yeah. and she'll just move on to some other century, probably. She's already lived this long, right? <laughs> I mean, she was there when uh, Queen Victoria was kicking right on the throne. Oh, they were best buddies. Didn't you see the? <laughs> didn't you see the pictures that came out after? She... They had pictures back then. Yeah, I mean, again, it took like an hour to reload each uh, each take, but like they got it done. They got it done. Black and white. You know, I mean, you could say that ever since pictures could move, she's got skin of the game. <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh that was our review for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio um this is a film that I would urge people to not just go out of their way to see once but if you have the ability to do so go and see it again I I enjoyed it a lot more the second time I enjoyed it a lot the first time but I really enjoyed it a lot more the second time and it'll be playing on Netflix uh Christmas time so don't um don't miss this one out Okay, at this point, Kyle, um, you can go ahead and uh, go away. I'm kidding. Well, it's because I'm going to watch, we're going to review The Crown Season 5, and you haven't seen it yet. So, But I want to say thank you so much for joining us uh, and for your valued input uh, <laughs> on the drama that went down with Chipik and Iger and, of course, uh, with um, Pinocchio. And, of course, you'll be back on soon to discuss, hopefully, some of the new films we're about to see in just the coming week. 
Have I told you about the donuts hole? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I do declare. <laughs> you know, one time, and, and you know, so you could you could argue that Peter sometimes always has a glare on him. There was this one time Kyle took it too far, or maybe he he said it one too many times about mm. the donuts hole. And one time I remember seeing Peter with them like the. That was the closest I think he ever came to killing Kyle, because he he was <laughs> he was done with hearing that. But you know what, Alexis? It turns out that the donut is not whole at all. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to you. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> your sympathy. <laughs> There's been a murder. <laughs> Let's back it up for a second. <laughs> all right everybody uh <laughs> it's been great chatting with you guys uh ding dong the witch is dead bye and um there was that lexus and i are still here and as previously discussed, we're going to go ahead and start with our uh, review of the fifth season of The Crown. I cannot believe it's already here. It already kind of came and went in a way. But like, yeah, we're already talking about all 10 episodes of the fifth season. And of course, if you've been following this podcast for some time, you should know, of course, that Alexis and I are huge fans of the show and loved just about... <clears throat> every season and uh there was a lot of anticipation going into this season in particular of course to see where um some key crucial moments in the life of charles and diana uh would be picked up as of course a new cast took over this season and if that wasn't enough the queen also took the liberty of like ejecting herself from life <laughs> um so it's like <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's be real. She was done with life, right? Like she dipped. She, she dipped, and so I mean, they had all that going on. Uh, so I mean, look, that all that does is ramp up the anticipation. She said, Get, "Let me give you some promotion." <laughs> oh my god. Um, <laughs> both of them. But yes, both the both the queen and the king consort, uh, or I should say, Prince Philip, uh, that was his official title to uh, dipped uh, since the last uh, season. The crown was on Netflix, and in and of itself, it's hard to believe it's been two years since that's happened. Um, in the time that the two years have passed, Peter Morgan, the creator and showrunner and main writer of the show did confirm. But at one point, this was supposed to be the last season. 
but uh, mm-hmm. they went ahead and did an additional sixth season, which I believe I uh, I don't know. I can't speak to like whether or not it's been filmed or not. I would hope they're filming now <clears throat> because I don't want to wait forever for the last season, if indeed it will be the last season. But, you know, one would hope, as Alexis and I have been saying, they would come to their senses and don't just end it with season six because the monarchy always, the British monarchy in particular, always has a lot of drama and scandal going on. And there have been some recent scandals, as a matter of fact, with the whole saga of Harry and Meghan. And one would, you know, be disappointed if that isn't covered on the show at some point. Um in particular, because, of course, you know, the queen was very much still alive. She only recently passed away, and now we have King Charles. I will say, to just go ahead and segue into this season, it's really interesting that this season comes out where Charles is finally king, because mm-hmm. a lot of this season really goes into what his reign would look like. Um, at least what it would look like if it happened back in the 90s when and there's a lot of discussion about is the monarchy done are we are we over it and a lot of that is embedded behind you know people maybe feeling tired of the same monarch being on the throne for over 40 even 50 years at that point so um yeah, it's interesting the timing of this season, that's for sure. Because yeah. also the themes of this season are the themes that a lot of people are asking themselves now throughout in the wake of the Meghan contro- Markle controversy in the wake of the Queen's passing herself. And then, of course, with uh, with uh, Charles and Camilla now king and queen. So it, 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 timing is everything, right? And so it's, it's pretty interesting um, yeah. that this it's happened. It's so weird that they always do this. <laughs> they find they somehow always Don't find they? a way. It yeah. feels like every time a new season comes up, it kind of works with where we are. Yes, yes, and um, maybe the the queen was like, you know what? I can't go through another season. I'm done. And it's it, it's uh, yeah, interesting timing, obviously here. Um, but we start off this season in 1992, I believe. Which was, and it, it said in the season itself, um, one of the more tumultuous years of the Queen's life. Before we get, we dive deep into any of this, there are a couple of things we want to like touch on first, like broadly speaking. As far as this season is concerned, I feel like one of the themes this year or this season is the chickens that really come home to roost. And I think a lot of bombs went off in this season that I think weren't just like being set up in the previous with Diana and with Charles, but I think a lot of the stuff that blew up had been building since the very first episode, since the very first Mm -hmm. season. And it was a long time coming. Um, It really was. But it's like the overall theme of failure in our main character here, Elizabeth, for a lot of the things that she had maintained and she had hoped to stave off, it was all-consuming. It was overwhelming. The the series of things that just hurt her, hurt her status, her station, basically. Um, you kind of get the sense that maybe 
they are beginning to wrap things up because of how much of the season really felt as if it was pulling directly from the very inception of the show. Um, so you have that also lingering in the air. But you also do it, and I think one of the things that is, uh, I think it's praised enough, but I think it, 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 you have the, the um, I would say some people would just like neglect how great the casting is on this show. It's always been great. But every time a new a new cast takes over, um, you're just really amazingly blown away, really, by just how pitch perfect they are. And when we heard the casting, it's like, that's great. And then when we saw the episodes, yeah, immediately, just in there. Uh, you, you have to start off with Imelda Stanton, who is phenomenal. She like you see Olivia Coleman in there. You see Claire Foy in that performance, and I think it's look. Of course, the show and the ages, the the cast ages, but I think it's a different thing altogether. And I think you you can call it in the strength in the writing. You can also say in the strength of the, of the performance, especially that you are able to see the younger versions of these characters in them. You see them evolve in ways. You see them age that's also a theme of the show uh that we see here um in this season in particular i should say but there are the moments here and there where the old versions of themselves creep out and it's like because i think also elizabeth has remained consistently the same mostly and you see that come at odds with the people around her who mm -hmm. they've grown in different directions I would say that Philip and Margaret over the years, first of all, they've calmed down with older age. Let's just be real about that. But do they, with both of Margaret and Philip, there are moments where you see the old, I see Matt Smith. I see um, uh, Vanessa Kirby. And those are versions of the characters you hadn't seen in quite some time. Because, of course, you had Tobias Menzies who had Philip in the last two seasons and you had Helena Bonham Carter who had uh, Margaret in the previous two seasons. So, amazing. And of course, just and I think what's even more impressive than that, um, and I was worried because, fuck, were they amazing. Emma Corrin and Josh O'Connor uh, were stellar. Just like, I was worried in a way, like, am I going to like these as much mm -hmm. as I liked before? Both of them. Um and I'm surprised. They're great. I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm like, you see them grow. Obviously, they're older here. They're supposed to be. But like, it's like, no, that's that character. He's there, but he's older now. I was, I was actually like, I, I felt like Elizabeth the Biggie was always going to crush it. And she did. I mean, she's just there. Like, it, leaping off the, the, the pages of history, it seemed like that's how amazingly close she looks like the real diana um clive owen doesn't look as much like charles let's say even as josh o'connor did maybe it's the years who mm -hmm. knows but um i was really really impressed with clive owen's take on charles and considering how much of a villain let's be real he's always been vilified to an extent throughout all like mm -hmm. his life but in the show there's always been like that sympathy for them on the side, but for the most part, he's kind of been villainized on the show. Yeah. And this well, that, that's season, I, yeah. I, I told, uh, I was talking to David about this, that I like how 
Even, I think, in the last season, I think the last season it was just because they were first, like, introduced as a couple and stuff. But, like, I like that the this season, the show doesn't seem to take sides. Yes, yes. I, I like that. That's impressive, too. Yeah. Because it's hard not to, obviously, yeah. as we've seen throughout yeah. history. But I think, like, to... That, that that is true what i and maybe it's not in, as appreciated as other aspects of the show are but uh, again understanding of course it's historical fiction to be clear about that we're talking about mm-hmm. characters that are based on real people but we're in the context of the show it presents everyone's point of view rather as a matter of fact and it's not mm-hmm. you don't get the impression the show is siding with any one person over yeah. the other you know and i feel it's giving every character maybe more so than any of the other seasons, the fairer um, benefit of the doubt all across the board. And what I was yeah. mentioning is, while I, you know, the previous seasons did, uh, they did show why Charles was never really committed to this marriage. He didn't want it. He was in love with somebody else. We all knew that. Um, But oftentimes, he was very overtly abusive, if not yeah. only, if, well, if not verbally, but in other ways, to Diana. And we saw that here. But here in this season, we see a different side to Charles. We see um, more of the person, more of his humanity. Even in the previous iterations with Josh O'Connor, he was always made out to be more of like a, a, like a you know, a stuffy, you know, uh, very like pompous a, a, individual. Asshole. Yes, basically. Yeah. And you, and you still have a lot of that in here somewhere, but like you, you see more of a... Of a real person um, that is actually trying and actually cares more than just his own selfish ambition. And a lot of it sure is. I mean, we, we begin the season hilariously with him, you know, you know, teasing the prime minister with like, hey, you want to like schedule a vote in no confidence? Yeah. Like a mm-hmm. little bit. So like, you know, you light treason. Hey, who hasn't done light treason? Uh-huh. Right. Look at the former president of the United States. But like... um, in this season, there is a lot more that's given to him. And the ultimate defense is that, that there's a person there that actually cares, that's actually trying. Um, and you do feel for him because you're reminded, like, you don't see him being anywhere near as abusive as he was to Diana in the previous seasons. Maybe that's <laughs> that's what the benefit of age and his children aging. But you're reminded so many times, like, he himself is a victim in this as well, a victim of the system. There are practically every family member is a victim of this of this system besides the sovereign, which is Elizabeth. But you're reminded at so many times that, you know, this is such useless suffering because they were made to be wed in the first place. Even and and we see that addressed, you know, later on in the season. But yeah. Ultimately, um the casting across the board brilliant and the writing is still definitely on par and it's still the season is still filled with moments that make the crown what the crown is uh i loved it i and i i i I can't imagine the show ending i love it so much i know i know i don't want it to end it's too good yeah i i love this season um i heard like others being like oh it wasn't as good as the others but also like when you come from the last season which is the introduction of diana you i 
felt like we kind of expected people to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, let's remind ourselves here. Was season two as well regarded as the first season? I don't think so. I don't think so. But then came season three. Uh-huh. But again, you you can also say that season four was better than three. So, I mean, of course, in the show, there are going to be seasons that are better than others. But like, mm-hmm. I don't think. But I think that they're they've all been so good. They've like, all they been each so have good. Their own thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like just talking I, about this makes me want to go back and watch the show all over again. Yeah, it's it's so good. I love what they do with. It's like hard because they're real people, and you know most of these things did or did not happen, right? Uh, you know, but I love what they do and how they like present it to us, mm-hmm. and the like shock factor yes. of like each episode is so good. Yeah. Um. But this, I this season, I think made me more like emotional than anything. Uh, there was a lot of, and how you said like. There's a lot of moments where their age is being, like, they're realizing their age. And, you know, it's very, like, what have I done with my life type of thing. Um, and just, like... Or that or that feeling of life passing you by. There are many uh-huh. moments in our, our principal character here, Elizabeth, is... And it happens, I feel like, almost every episode. But, it, it, like, Elizabeth is just forced to contend with the fact that she doesn't recognize this world anymore. You know, mm-hmm. we begin the season with accusations being flung at her that she's out of touch. And then by the time that we reach the end of the season, she realizes that she just doesn't recognize what this planet is any longer. Like, I think one of the best scenes that I think exemplifies that is... um. I believe it was the interview episode, episode nine, where, you know, I believe Dookie, yeah, Dookie, who is the head of the BBC, wants to resign because of what that interview that happened. And I believe the queen herself says that she doesn't recognize, like he, him saying he doesn't recognize the company anymore or this world anymore. And I think later on in that episode, William, her grandson, is like flipping through the channels because they finally got satellite TV. And, like, they're flipping so many different programs, like, you know, Beavis and Butthead and so many other ones. And she just looks so, like, turned off and, like, what is this? Like, what what happened? Like, when did I become the old person here? Mm-hmm. And that's the feeling that uh, she's going through. Uh, and I was joking with you. It's like what she's experiencing in her 60s is what we experience in our 20s right now <laughs> in, in mm-hmm. a sad way. So, in some ways, I sadly can sympathize with that when you're realizing that and even in the case of her tv or with her beloved ship the britannia uh where she, you know i think the the line is said she's past her prime and you just can't help of that if yourself of yourself when that's being yeah, said yeah. of something you love yeah like she literally says this is a representation of myself yes like i love that expo- explanation that she gave of like when she inherited the throne, everything that she had was inherited. And it that was, was somebody else's. Like, somebody else uh-huh. lived there before she did. Yeah. Like, that ship was the only thing that she had of herself, mm-hmm. I guess. That she could bring. make herself, basically. Uh-huh. And, yeah, I mean, the way that they kind of... And it's... it's That ship is talked about throughout the entire season. Mm-hmm. From and beginning to end. Yeah. About, uh-huh. It's 
it was cool how they did it. It definitely um, was. And I believe we have been here before, I want to say, right? Like, I remember, like, didn't we start off the second season here in Britannia? Was that the same ship? That it's the it's been the the ship that they they've used do the whole their... show, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That's uh, you see, and I love how the show presents it because, like, I'm I'm of two minds. Like, I I agree that she's the ship is well past its prime. If anything, you should just get a new one. But then also, why should the uh government of great britain be made to pay for it especially when when as the prime minister points out thatcher of course she would do this gave the royal family the probably the most investment that the government has ever made on the royal family so why can't they pay for that you know at the same time for whatever reason they don't want to or they don't seem to have the funds that they can do that for the repairs I'm very sympathetic of a a woman who's entering her elder years, or about to anyway, in her yeah. 60s and 70s, and I'm very sympathetic for a person in this position, this character, who honestly has more than done her fair share to really assume this role, you know, really in a way of the crown. It's not talked about enough because Elizabeth was somehow able to find contentment with what she was given, but she had to give up her life to to do this. And and how she talks about it, you do understand her point of view and you do sympathize with that. And like anybody else, even though she is, of course, wealthy, very wealthy in which so many others in this world are not. Her home or one of her homes being ripped away from her is sad. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those situations where it's like, and if, but, yeah. but it's like a little bit more than that. Yes, because it's it's like I don't know. It's like when you start like a business or something, mm-hmm. and it the thing that you're doing, the thing that you're selling, the thing that you know you bring to the table mm-hmm. is like not it's not selling anymore i guess it's not like what people want anymore right the britannia and it being put out the pasture very much in the background of the season because that's ultimately the talking point of the season is is the monarchy relevant any longer do we need Mm -hmm. this anymore and her position as sovereign has never been in a more precarious state they've done a really good job in the previous four seasons to maintain the need for uh, a monarchy but um and it worked out for them. It worked out for Elizabeth to do the exact mm-hmm. same thing. But it finally came to a point in this season where that wasn't good enough anymore and it all blew up in her face. And look, I that's another thing where I'm of two minds because part of me is also kind of like happy that it blew up in her face because of all the injustices that have been made, yeah. particularly with Margaret, particularly with Charles and Diana. Like... They shouldn't have been made to do all those things. And it's satisfying to see her being proved wrong when it all just comes crashing down. But you you, you know, at least in the context of the show, mm-hmm. that everything that she's done, she doesn't do it with Joy. bad intent. Yeah, or malevolence. No, she does it uh-huh. because she re- really believes it's for the best of the country. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. That doesn't... Which is... What, it's, yes. it's, I mean, it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't excuse how distant she like, has come across at times. Or the mm-hmm. indifference, shall we say. Something like... She feels, and it's pointed out several times in the show, that she's not being indifferent, that she actually does care. However, it's one thing to say that, and if you believe that, fine, that's good and all. But it's a different thing to actually show it and prove it. And time and time again, in regards to Diana in particular, she has more than proven herself to appear distant or indifferent to a yeah. lot of the suffering that she's been made to even, do. To, um, even yeah. like when they go to her to talk about these things, and not just with Diana, because I think they sh- do show a lot of the conversations with her and Diana, and that she's very like, oh, please, like, come on. But especially like with Margaret in the season, when she finally goes and talks to her <sighs> about everything that's been happening with her. And she's just like, oh, please, still with this? Like, you know, it, like to her, it was something that was like, whatever. Mm-hmm. But this is like somebody's life that you're messing with. Yes. And at times you get the impression that either it doesn't occur to her to be, it doesn't occur to her how meaningful it is to the people that keep, that, that say this in the case of Margaret or Diana, they keep bringing it up. Um, or maybe she's just like, maybe she's just tired of hearing it because she knows that they, nothing can be done about that. I don't know, but it, it maybe it's just like who she is that sometimes she doesn't fully appreciate how important these things are yeah. to her family. And so she brushes it off and dismisses it. That, that's, that's a yeah. common thing with her I, all I throughout the show. She, she has this thing where... She thinks that everybody's thinking the same way as her. Yes. And, you know, like, she doesn't need to explain herself or Mm -hmm. she doesn't need to, like, because she's she's the boss and what she says goes type of thing Mm -hmm. instead of being like, okay, like, what can we do to fix it? What can, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, she gets told off a lot this season. (laughs) I mean, she, she, she takes a lot of those punches. That's for sure. Um, from her own daughter in Anne, from her sister in Margaret, and not in a confrontation of sorts, but in a really quietly devastating way from her own husband in Philip. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it 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 builds at several different points in the season where she's just like, mm, well, there are quiet disagreements, and she kind of leaves them there. Like I know in the first, no, in the second episode. When Philip uh, forms his friendship with Penny and they have a passion together after her daughter passed away. And um, when he mentions to Elizabeth that he also talked to Diana because he had heard about what Diana was going to do with this book and went to go kill it basically then and there. And and the the way that he phrased it really rubbed Elizabeth the wrong way about like, you know, discretion and like, Diana basically being able to do whatever she wants as long as like publicly she's a she appears to be a committed wife and that didn't seem to really like yeah. be what Elizabeth wanted because she she feels like a wife should have a sense of duty um it, it, it's complex you know the, the show yeah. doesn't like again this is a person who wasn't overly emotional but at the same time we need to have moments like those in order to be able to c- 
connect with her as a character. And I feel for her and what she's lost. I, I do feel that. And, and I feel sympathy for her. It, it's not nice to, to see her like break a little bit. But at the same time, the issues that blow up in her face here, as I mentioned before, it's were her, a, own doing. It's her own doing. And they were a long time coming. They were a long time coming. And I think even Philip at some point um, says that he was forced, his whole identity was erased in order to become mm-hmm. a part of the system. And that's not something that ever seems to occur to Elizabeth. Or at least yeah. that's something that the she feels had long since been settled and done with anyway. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of these things she feels, as a matter of fact, that they've been settled and done with. Like you almost get the sense of contempt. Or like, really, this again? When Margaret brings up Peter Townsend, like, wrote to her. Um, and with, I think one of the other themes is a lot of these characters are fed up with it. And are not, they're not taking no for an answer anymore. Like, I love that scene. Although it is hard to see it from a different aspect when, you know, Margaret mentions it later on in that same episode. But like... And as a matter of fact, just like, you know, I give so much of myself every day to be a part of the system, but you cannot have all of me. I'm not having, I'm going to marry this man and you can't stop me. And she just storms out. Yeah. And that couldn't have been stopped. And it's just like, fuck, if only Margaret had done that <laughs> all yeah, those years before. Yeah. You know? that, that's like another thing too, that, that. And I mean, I think the one that you could say it the most is with Charles and Diana that, like, yes, both parties were not, like, should never have gotten married. But, like, the thing that makes it more Charles's fault is that he didn't fight for Camilla. You know, like, he didn't. Or if he did, it wasn't. Hard enough. Whereas, like, for example, um, with um, Elizabeth and Philip, like, she fought to be with Philip. We don't get to see it in the show, but, like, she, you know, there was a lot of things that were against Philip at the time. Mm -hmm. And she fought to be with him. And granted, it might have been a little bit easier for her because she was going to be queen, but still. And I think that, like, and even with Margaret, like, she didn't fight to be with him, you know? She might have, like, done some stuff, but it wasn't fighting hard enough to get to the point. You know what I mean? The thing with Charles is, and I think there was a wonderful moment um, in that episode. I guess it's called Tampon Gate. I don't know why it's... Uh, well, that, that, that was a great episode, but, I mean, in the... That was, yeah. In the end... All, honestly, yeah. everything with Charles this season was, like, was so surprising. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I hated it because I just was like, why are you making me like him? <laughs> but, like, at the end of that episode, there is actually a moment of... um, For the first time in this show, there's a moment of respect from the members of the royal family toward Charles. And when mm-hmm. Anne points it out that for so long she's doubted him, for so long he's thought of him as weak. And to an extent he has been weak. Otherwise he would have fought harder for Camilla. Mm-hmm. And maybe that made that would have made all the difference. Instead, like when when back in season four, when Charles and Diana are first wed, like literally that's one of the shocking moments in the season where um 
the first thing he says to her is like, oh yeah, here, meet Camilla. What? <laughs> like that, 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 and it's like, it's almost as if like he convinced himself that he could still have his friendship with Camilla and this thing being a farce, but that was never, ever, ever made clear to Diana. And so the poor thing was just left there in the wilderness. We all know that. Yeah. But of course, it shouldn't at all be absolved from the feet of the royal family themselves that forced this to happen in the first place because they all were aware that mm-hmm. Camilla had Charles's heart. But they didn't think Mrs. Parker Bowles was um, ritzy enough, I guess? For their taste? Is that what it was? They just, they didn't like her She for... was divorced. Ah, oh, that's right. The D word. That's right. She was divorced. Yeah, I guess that's what made her unattractive. But like, no, they, they, all of them were like, they all, all of them have bloods on their hands for this yeah. marriage. It's not just exclusively a Charles or a Diana issue. It's like everybody involved. If anybody who I would say has the least amount would be in the show again, not in real life, but in the show would be Margaret who warned them this isn't going to work out well. And as usual, Margaret ends up being right (laughs) with this. Yeah. So that moment when she goes to Elizabeth and is like, how come she gets to do this? And I never could. Leslie Manville. May have won her Emmy in that Broke moment. Broke my heart. May have won her Emmy, uh, or for sure better get the nomination. But like, to me, um, that fourth episode of the season was among my very favorite episodes of the whole series for a lot of very different reasons. A lot of these moments we discussed um, with, you know, the House of Cards literally crashing around Elizabeth happened in that episode. And for Elizabeth's sake... Um, it goes even further with like, you know, the castle, Windsor Castle burning down and her being so, um, visibly like torn down by the events, uh, of that year in that she gives a speech in, in which she alludes to her mental state and her, you know, just her state of mind and in ways that she rarely ever does, um, more on that in a bit. I'm going to stick a pin in there in, in that one. I want to go back to that. But in other ways, of course, that's the episode where um, it's made clear that, you know, Andrew's marriage is going to fail. Um, Anne's has already failed and is going to marry somebody else while the other person's alive. And that's a big deal in this show, obviously. Um, more with Charles and Diana. And she know, they everybody knows at that point it's just not going to work. Um, <clears throat> and then... With Margaret, the big thing here is I never thought we would ever pick up this thread again. And it only reminds you of how how wrong it all felt, how it ended. It really, and how bad you felt for Margaret. But like Peter Townsend, Peter yeah. Townsend came back. I never thought that would happen. That, that, that moment oof, where she's doing her thing at the party and she's singing and laughing and telling her stories and he's just there smiling at her like looking at her like she's this like wonderful creature i can't well all of it really um the moment when they begin to dance and uh the instrumental version of stardust uh which plays several times in in that um in that episode that got me because the magic was was still there after 
40 years, that magic was still there. And it's just like, these two were always perfect for each other. And then in the sequences, like what you just mentioned, uh, when, when, you know, he's just like lovingly staring at her and, you know, she's singing and dancing and it's like, wow, that's Vanessa Kirby in there. That's Vanessa Kirby Margaret in there. And it, and like for the first time in seasons, she looked the happiest, happy, happy in general. And it was when she was around the love of her life. And the sequence in which, you know, she's reading the letters and we get the flashbacks to, um, you know, Vanessa Kirby, uh, Margaret, and Peter Townsend. Heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. You're, you're reliving those moments from the first seasons of the show that were just terrible. Um, by the way, great casting with Sir Timothy Dalton. Uh, wonderful, wonderful casting in that department. The casting on the show has always been phenomenal, even for its guest actors. But wow honestly but that really of course stirs up the old feelings um all of this is happening at the same time that Anne, as we just mentioned like like fuck you i'm marrying this person and then on the heels of elizabeth's home literally burned down (laughs) that's when margaret comes in and that monologue from beginning to end was so masterful but powerful even still and the compa- and it didn't even occur to me until she pointed out the comparisons to her and Anne's situation are exactly the same. They're exactly the same. And yet she was denied, Margaret was denied, and Anne was not. And this was such a long time coming when she was basically saying to her, you still cannot bring yourself to acknowledge the role that you played in it. That she couldn't marry the love. And and it's just so tragic because Margaret hasn't been happy. She's been fine, I guess, but she hasn't been happy. It's so, like, her story throughout the whole show has been so interesting. Because, like, the, the source of her depression, the source of her, you know just like unhappiness has been Elizabeth this whole time but that's also the person who she loves the most it's insane it's insane and I think there's even other moments in the episode in the season that really just remark on um, the effect of being in this system has had on her ironically enough is in the episode of the diana interview and you see um margaret listening in or looking at the interview and diana i believe is talking about how you know any person with like flair or personality is just like chipped away and that's exactly what happened to her because lest we forget margaret also tried to you know be an active participant in this system but she just wasn't made for it. It's just... She tried to be queen. She did, yeah. Nope. It, it, it wasn't in the cards. And um, 
back to the fourth episode, all of these things coming at, at Elizabeth and for the first time in a long time, you see her grapple with the consequences of her actions. And you see that there's still a human being there at the end of the day, as such as being the sovereign, and that she legitimately feels really bad in the hand that she played and all of her family members suffering. And this is wonderful scene where, you know, the queen mother comes in and starts berating Elizabeth for like, what the fuck are you thinking? This is not the kind of speech you give, you know? And it, it almost even felt like she was, you know, invoking Queen Mary, you know, Elizabeth's grandmother in that scene, as if we were still back in 1952. Maybe she's still living mm -hmm. in 1952. But you could tell in that moment, Elizabeth was like, I cannot believe her own mom is speaking to her like this in this way, in spite of like, clearly at feeling as if this is the worst year of her life by some measure as she says and i love that moment when philip comes out and defends her and it's like she, from day one she's been you know this way and would it take just a little speech or something to just like say how she feels and to give herself some peace of mind and I love that moment, a little exchange where the Queen Mother just seems confused. Like, since when were you like this? Basically, that's what she was saying. I don't know if that was word for word. But then Elizabeth was like, since day one, since day one, he's been saying that. He's been advocating for me to be more of myself than just this, like, aberration or something. This just, like, soulless, personality-less person. And again, it's moments like those that were just so satisfying because finally, a lot of the stuff that, you know, defined Philip and Elizabeth's relationship um, in the early seasons just came back around and Elizabeth finally had it, you know, and is doing what she wants to do and what ultimately is what's healthiest for her and the family around her in this particular moment, in this particular episode. Um with these characters that we've been around with for a very long time at this point. Um, yeah. Uh, wonderful moments that, and wonderful episode that I would say were a long time coming for this show. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Other threads to pick up on, we should, with Charles and Diana. Um, Wow. <laughs> that girl was hell-bent to bring everything down with her. And I got to say, I respect it. I respect it because, look, she has been pushed to the side. And I don't know. I, I felt a bit gaslit in a way because I, I i remember how horrible emma corrin's like diana was just so cast aside and, and like isolated you know a lot of the things that diana says in that interview came from a true place and the, the royal hand family mishandled her by not being there for her for not trying more with her that is on them and yet when diana this is after the book, but this is toward the end of the season when the interview is about to air, 
when she tells her about this interview and Elizabeth is like, never once have I like criticized you in public. I've always defended you. Even after people take multiple, you know, chances to like tarnish your name. And while that's all well and nice, and while, uh, you know, uh, uh, Diana clearly feels on some level, maybe she misjudged the queen. That's not good enough. That's not a substitute for actually being there for a person. And it, that's another one of uh, Elizabeth and the system's uh, failings in that doing the same thing they've been doing just doesn't cut it anymore. And that's why mm -hmm. you see throughout the season, Diana just like attempts to just blow the whole thing up because, and you see her points so very clearly eloquently made and sometimes hilariously. So when she talks to the prime minister and just like giddy giddily, she just like says like all of these marriages are about to blow up. And then even just like <laughs> in front of him, which was hilarious, but, yeah. Even in the criticisms she has, which I feel are grossly misinterpreted, and unfortunately even by Charles, which he should well, he should know better, but he should see what, what she's saying is not that he's unfit to be king, but that the person you are, with the personality that you have, and again, having Philip and Margaret... Basically telling him, like... You know you don't want to do this. You know this wouldn't be good for you. Yeah. And Charles, uh, yeah. You have other interests. You don't, like, not that he wouldn't be good, but just... This wouldn't be good for you. That's the yeah. thing. That's the difference. And that's also not something he would... She wants on William. As somebody mm -hmm. who is also next uh, in line for the throne. So... It... It's clear that's what she's saying, but it's so grossly misinterpreted um, as her calling into question um, whether Charles would be good as king. And then we end mm -hmm. in a place where, well, they got the separation, they got the divorce, and it was a war. And um, yeah, Charles is not left in the, in the best of places. You also do feel a uh, sympathy for Camilla, obviously here, because well, the thing is, like these two, especially with the the tampon gate episode, because like these are two people who are very clearly in love, and they do a really good job of showing you that. And it's a sh they've always loved each other, and it's just so horrific that they've never really ever been allowed. To just see each other as people. And you have just have to wonder like how think how differently things would have gone if they just allowed them to be together in the first place. The heartache it would have prevented if it wasn't for that. Mm -hmm. And um Yeah. But then it's a give and take, right? Like there's a really long exchange that Charles and Diana have in episode nine, I want to say after the divorce is settled and it's brilliant because in the quiet moments in the beginning, you do see why 
parts of themselves liked each other to begin with. You see, there was love there. There was a sense of respect there. But you also therein lies. You see why. I don't, I, I, I never thought it was love. It was just you care for them which is completely yes. different when you're mm-hmm. in love yeah i i wouldn't i wouldn't categorize it as if like they're in love more so that they they cared for one another let's put it that way but it would have been different as they you know autopsize their marriage if Charles had just said from the beginning, I don't love you. I love somebody else. I always have. If you just said, started that off from the beginning, maybe things wouldn't have come to where they've come. And it wouldn't have gotten as bad as they did. Um. So, yeah. I... I loved that scene, but I hated it so much also. It was it was so good. Like you could tell that he felt so bad about it. Um, and he should be happy. He should be on top of the world. This is the one thing he's wanted for years now after sixteen yeah, years of a failed marriage. Like this is finally he should be, you know, the happiest, and yet he just feels nothing but mm-hmm. guilt in the moment. Yeah. And just like the conversation that they both have, like both of them like making jokes about it and stuff and you get the sense of like okay, like they'll be good friends type of thing. Um but then when they start doing their little autopsy, like I think the moment that like I was like stop was when he was like, can we use her name? <sighs> but I think they do need to, though. I feel, from my perspective... Well, they- I- I'm I'm saying it in a sense of, like, obviously, I didn't experience that. I've never right. Heard. But, like, I've had that happen to me, in a way. Um, and so, I don't know, that for me was just like, oh, Oh, no. I, I wasn't aware of <laughs> that. I mean, look, if, if <laughs> but I, I feel like on some level, it, it needs to happen to get to a place to be amicable about why things didn't work out. And as Diana said in the interview, there's always been three of us in this marriage. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like to use the name of the the mistress obviously it's just not something you want to do but the marriage is over it ended and if you're talking about what went what ultimately is what went wrong well everybody knows what it is they never really were in love the way people who would marry one another would be that's Camilla and Charles, not Charles and Diana. Not like that. And um I don't know. I guess like from my vantage point, 
when you're analyzing these kind of relationships, you just wonder to yourself, why didn't he just tell her that sooner? Why did it mm-hmm. take this long? Family trait. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. It could be that too. Also in the belief that there really was no choice at the time, although it's, it's funny how the whole, the whole thing was while well, she's divorced, so you can't marry her. All right, well, I'll marry somebody else, and guess what? It ends in divorce. Yeah. So yeah, complicated stuff, messy stuff, but we all. What 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 did you make of this season's handling of Diana, in particular with her like let's say interactions with? I I think the show in some ways is being somewhat critical of her from different areas, especially yeah. with like how she handles her relationship with her son William, and you you do see him being uncomfortable. With the idea that she would talk about the guys that she's seeing. Um, You see him being comfortable in that way. I don't know what it was or where it came from. If this comes from a real place or not, but it seemed kind of random. Of the show trying to make it seem that Diana has some kind of predilection for Pakistani men. Yeah, that was weird. It's weird. weird. That... They yeah. were focusing on it so much. Like, I'm the relationships she had with those two Pakistani men were real, but to make it a thing or to connect those two was strange. Yeah. And I'm not sure what the point was. Yeah, it was odd. I kept going back to it. To try too, to understand it. What, like, what are you really saying here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like... Mm, yeah, I don't know about that one. That that's that doesn't yeah. that really fly all that well. And then came the uh, well, the overall relationship she had with Martin Bashir, who <sighs> the journalistic practices, of course, that led to that interview happening in the first place were wrong, wrong, wrong. Were all kinds of wrong. I think I read that. It wasn't even known until I think two years ago that Martin Bashir lied to get the interview. Like all those things are like so made up. You see it in the show that yeah, he he like made things up to get their attention to do that interview with her. But um that's just bad in and of itself. And then of course the whole debate to even air that interview. Um and it's an interesting one because like Ultimately, what do you do with it? A lot of people look back at the interview as a mistake. How do you think of it? In terms of like, because the episode spent much of their time like going back and forth. Like, how is how is this going to be looked mm-hmm. back on? And even in the show, in the episode after the interview, Diana herself feels like it was kind of a mistake. Because, I mean, it, it was somewhat of a success in her part immediately thereafter but then it just it seemed to blow up in her face more so than in the immediacy now we're like so many years after that i mean it's hard because when you're shut out for Mm -hmm. so long like obviously you know you want to shout to the world and charles had to have his say he had his interview 
You know, he uh-huh. had to say he got to frame things exactly the way that he wanted to. However, and maybe he felt like he couldn't do so through some rules here and there and to not you know maybe to save his image. True, that's the point I interviewed, but there was a little bit of that that wasn't entirely honest. That was with Camilla. Yeah. He didn't say, "Oh yeah, I love this girl from the beginning." No, no, no. That that that's not mm-hmm. true, and you can tell that irked Diana obviously because she knows she was there. That's not the yeah. truth. Yeah, um, but I think ultimately, I'm gonna bring this family up because this is something that I do like from them. Everything else, uh, not so much, but. The Kardashians. Um, every time something happens to them or like in the family and stuff, it's like for example the whole Kanye thing, and how he was like bashing her online. Who? She said Kanye, Kanye was bashing who? Kim. Oh, uh, oh, okay. Um, she stayed quiet throughout the whole time. She never said anything. She never came out. And that was because, like, for the mm, respect of, like, that sh- that's their kid's dad and for the kids. Um, and so I-, I think that that is, like, the right way to go. And I think that Diana didn't think of that, too. Like, the consequences that her kids would have had. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, I do think it's a mistake to kind of air out your things to that extent. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, every, the only person that seemed to, like, consider the kids' feelings was Elizabeth throughout the whole season. That's true, huh? Of all the people. Yeah. So, Interesting. And it's, it's like, funny that she's more caring. I mean, they say that, like, the grandparents are more caring to, like, their grandkids or whatever. But it's funny that she's more like that, especially with William. Mm-hmm. Suspicious. Interesting, yeah. Now, I'm really curious. I'm curious to see where that relationship goes further because if season six is indeed the last season, well, final season or not... There's some pretty big events that are going to happen in the sixth season, not the least of which include a big death. Mm-hmm. Fuck. I wonder how that's going to go. <laughs> I know. I'm... Scared. Curious. <laughs> Scared how yeah. it's handled, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's pretty... Yeah. Um, what are they going to do? Yeah. I, I I hope that they do keep it neutral. Mm-hmm. Um because I know that there's a lot of theories on what happens. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. It's I can't wait. Um uh, other observations from this season, I would say that I appreciate the, I guess, the the presence, shall we say, of the prime minister here. But, like, 
as we said with the previous seasons, sometimes you have prime ministers who are very much um, involved with, um, like you have Winston Churchill or you have Margaret Thatcher, right? And then sometimes you have other prime ministers who are just, they don't have that personality onto themselves or that legacy that's larger than life. And so with this one, he's very mild-mannered. He's very quiet. And there's just not much to say, really, about this prime minister, is there? Yeah. I think the only time that I was like, oh, was that first episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything else was like... Um, mm. Yeah. Even, like, the marriage thing, I was like, oh, okay. And then I guess, like, the ending... When the new prime minister came mm -hmm. in, um, but yeah, I don't really think he did much. Yeah, um, there was one other thing. Oh yes, what did you make of the story of Al Al Sayed Al Fayed? Mm. What was that? To you. You don't know who he is? Do I know who he is? I don't really know much yeah. more than what the show presented me, obviously. That's, um... So the son is, um, Diana's boyfriend. He's the one in the car with her during the accident. We don't see them, we don't like see them together life. here yet, right? Okay. No. So I think a lot of people were saying that they think it's going to start off with Diana already like having died. But since we end with them not being in a relationship first, I think we're going to get that first. I would assume we would, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Did I know that? Yes and no. I read a review that alluded to it. Like, oh. But in real life, no, I don't know too much of that. I, I, I try not to read because I have this show, you know. I don't want to, I guess, in some ways ruin it for myself, even though, again, it's historical <laughs> fiction. But um, I guess that's your answer, right? <laughs> no, I didn't really know that. Um, <laughs> it, it was interesting that they spent a lot of time mm -hmm, with them. That's true. But, like, I don't really think it was necessary. I will say it was it was nice to see Edward back. Edward and Wallace. Mm-hmm. It was Speaking of people who uh, weren't allowed to be together, notice that that's just a reoccurring theme for the other generations mm -hmm. here on The Crown. Damn. Wow. Ah. Uh, Yeah, I don't know what more I can say, really. I mean, that, that covers the general basis of it, but ultimately, I love yeah. this season, and I love this show. I do, too. I and think, I want season um, six now. I, <laughs> I know. Um, I think my favorite episode, which I honestly didn't think that we were ever going to get, and I, lo I mean, I don't love it, but I'm a huge, like, Anastasia girly. 
Romanov. Oh. And so that episode with the Romanovs, oh my, I literally ran to David's room and I was like, they're showing the Romanovs. Wild. And like the way that they would go back and Mm -hmm. forth, wild. Yeah. No, absolutely. But that episode, I think, was like really good because that was the Elizabeth and Philip Mm -hmm. episode. Yeah. Generally speaking, every episode of the show is enjoyable. I'm never not going to, like, turn away from any of them. Like, it's just, it's that kind of show where I'm into it. Even if it's, like, even the Fayette stuff, it's like, okay, this is an interesting detour. It's a detour, but Mm -hmm. I'm still enjoying the show. It's still The Crown. And it happened to involve other characters. Um, Yeah, we got a little bit of Claire Foy in the beginning of the season. So there's that. Mm -hmm. We got some... We got a lot of uh, OGs back, mm-hmm. Margaret. It would be interesting to... I don't know if it's... It'll be probably like... I don't know what the the script would be or what the point of it. But as far as a concept, it would be really interesting to see if they did an episode um, where... It takes place in three different eras, and we get to see Claire Foy, Olivia Coleman, and Amelda Stanton. Um, and maybe it's like somehow loosely related, like with an issue keeps coming back up. But it would be nice mm-hmm. to see that, like her not letting people get married. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole show at this point. I mean, what, what we're gonna belabor that <laughs> that point even further. <laughs> but um. I think it would be really interesting if they do one with her and Charles, because I think that that's such an interesting it relationship, is. and I wish that we would see more of mm-hmm. it, or some like one episode of it, of like how they've grown, uh, with each other, because even like in this season, um, when she kind of scolds him on like talking to the prime minister and stuff and the Hong Kong trip. It's just so weird. Like, I feel like she doesn't see him as a son, but, like, she does. And then he doesn't see her as his mom rather than the person who's taking his job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you know when we're getting the sixth season? (laughs) I do not. Really? <laughs> Are we going to have to wait two more years? Maybe. I know. Anyway, well, that's the crown, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. A reminder that next time, whenever that happens to be, Alexis, I know we discussed that perhaps Wednesday would be a good recording date. I can now tell you that's off the table considering where I know I'm going to be. So we're going to have to find out when we can reschedule for that. But the next time you and I talk, we will be talking about... By that time, Andor Season 1 would have been in the books. So we can have a more, much more in-depth talk on a show that we freaking love. Um, Maybe also a discussion on Disenchanted, depending on... If Alexis feels to see it, the need to see it, I should say. 
And then, of course, as we've been saying, in the next few weeks, uh, we will be seeing films like Glass Onion, The Fablemans, Strange World, Banshees of Inisherin, The Whale, and so on and so forth. Don't forget, of course, for those who care, Avatar The Way of Water will be coming out at some point in December. Um, and yeah, there's still more to go. Thank you all so much for listening tonight. Um, remember to catch our podcasts every single Sundays. Um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Stand our spotlight for more content here. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>